0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 140 of the creative writing Come on man, don't tell me it's gonna be that type of show Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying This is episode 140 of Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast Uh, Strap in, buckle up, whatever you do when it's episode 140 Uh, I'm super stoked uh, to be coming to you tonight live from uh, an evenly-temperatured, a nice-temperate garage And uh, with that, let's get into this show (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was nothing better than a Wilhelm scream to start off your episode 140 of Creative Rider Motorcycle Podcast. Yeah, nothing better uh, than going from an awesome episode to crap episode in a split second. It's like the 18th time the audio is cut out and I may have to uh, go back to recording not on software. Enough of the behind the scenes stuff. Let's get into what's happening with you guys right now. Right out of the gate, at the start, uh, right off the starting flag. Let's—I don't know, whatever. Right out of the start here. Um, I just want to say congrats and uh, happy 115th to everybody up in Milwaukee right now. I know our very own Chris Wiggins is up there celebrating Harley Davidson's 115th. I know that the uh, Milwaukee Rivets and uh, world famous uh, Narissa sh- they are up there celebrating their you know partying their Milwaukee buns off right now, and uh, looks looks like a lot of fun. Uh, Wiggins was racing at Elkhorn yesterday, I believe, and I think he said he came in around 10th. And there's a whole bunch of hooligan racing going on. Uh, you're hearing this today. Uh, that means tomorrow there's also um, the Brighton. I don't know what this The The Brawl. Bradford Beach Brawl. Brighton's in the UK. The Bradford Beach Brawl, I think, is tomorrow, uh, uh, Saturday. Um, there was some hooligan racing today and uh, yesterday, I believe. And uh, flat out Friday is happening. I believe also, uh, but not on a Friday. Maybe it already happened. I don't know. But uh, just a ton of stuff going on. And also, back in Sturgis, there was an AMA Supermoto round. um, And I think Jeffrey Carver was there maybe. I'm not 100% sure about that. But I did see a lot of people running that as well. And uh, yeah, some pretty cool stuff happening all over Uh, Because of the 115th right now, and uh, bike weeks happening everywhere and all this and that. Right here in our own creative writing studios, we're having our own 115th celebration. And uh, I've got uh, Harley Davids. What do I have? Uh, All right. I was just making that up to sound cool. I am not really doing anything. I'm just by myself tonight in the studio. But I do want to say... Uh, thank you to everybody that uh, tuned in for last week. I hope you enjoyed hearing all about the uh, Sportster Stomp and Wiggins' trip to Germany. And then, just like that, he's in, and then he's out again. He's, that, that man is on the move recently, and we will have him in the studio. Wiggins, uh, we're going to have like a pretty fun episode this week. I hope you liked the interviews last week, because we've got another one coming up for you. And uh, we didn't get to a whole bunch of stuff last week. And so this week, we're going to cover some of the Harley notes from the dealer show. See, last week, it, wasn't, it was, well, of course, it was happening, you know, <laughs> after we <laughs> recorded the show, because that's how space-time continuum works when you're uh, in uh, podcast land. So I got some notes from the dealer show, plus I got some crazy headlines that I'm going to try and remember. I'm going to name them off here. Crazy notes. Let's see if I can remember, remember what they're uh, about as I get into the show. China Gigacities. Okay, I'll try to remember what that's all about. And I'm pretty sure it's about the way that China is uh, creating electricity right now for their uh, all-electric, all-in, whatever they're call- going to call this, uh, you know, the banning banning uh, gas of petrol motors. Uh, also, Kalashnikov. Hmm. I know they make the uh, world-famous AK-47. What else are they making? We'll get into that. Uh, it's not autonomous, you idiot. And uh, we'll talk about that, plus Indian catching up with Harley Davidson in the uh, showroom, just like Harley Davidson needs to catch up with Indian on the racetrack. All right. Yeah, let's get into this episode. (laughs) Nothing like a crazy little French horn uh, there for you, right? God, what am I doing? Uh, anyway, so to get into this episode, first out of the starting gate, uh, behind the up, when the tapes go up, uh, when the green flag drops, here's what I'd like to say. Congratulations. Well, Wiener's on a bean pole. What was that? What the hell just happened? All right, let's try that again. Congratulations to our very own Christoph Wiggins. Yes, Chris Wiggins, one year. As co-host of Creative Writing, and right now Wiggs is over enjoying himself in lovely, lovely uh, Elkhorn. No, I don't know where he is. He's over. He's up in Wisconsin for the one fifteenth. And Wiggs, we got your little little package coming for you. Hopefully, it's here by the time you get back. And uh, congratulations, it's making it one year as co-host September first, man. So tomorrow, Wiggins' one-year anniversary of being here for most of the episodes with the old Junkmeister. And everybody else up there, uh, Narissa and the rest of the no- Milwaukee Rivets. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying it. You guys look like you're having, a, you're partying your butts off up there in Milwaukee. It looks like so much fun. I think a lot of people rode and a lot of people saved up their Sturgis miles for the uh, 115th this year. And <clears throat> looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun, man. Like it's already been fun for me to watch all the people all the stuff all the prep and all the travel (laughs) and so many guys from uh socal up there right now because most of them ride harley davidsons and even a lot of indians showing up so it's kind of weird but uh pretty cool and the wiggins raced uh yesterday no wiggins raced wednesday i think um on i think it was an elkhorn and then i think there's a flat out friday on the 30 on today actually i think is going to be a flat out friday and then i think tomorrow is going to be the bradford beach brawl which is like this crazy oval out there on the beach so yeah there's like and then i think there might even be something to monday or tuesday and then i'm pretty sure there's like some uh, flat track happening as well like aft flat track so yeah this is um it's going to be a lot of cool stuff it's going to be a lot of rad Hooligan stuff going down, a lot of people celebrating 115. And we're actually going to talk about Harley Davidson a little bit tonight because the dealer show, pardon me, we did not get to the dealer show last week, I don't think. We didn't get to all the notes and uh, it had technically hadn't happened yet <laughs> when we were recording. You may have heard Wiggins uh, <laughs> mention. Um, so, uh, another thing we got coming up tonight, as I mentioned, we have a guest interview. I did all the crazy headlines we're going to do. So, let's get into some of the news. Uh, would you guys like some regular news music in there instead of just me doing that? All right, all right. What you're hearing here is a little bit of music by my buddy, Dad Bod. And, uh, yeah, I'm grooving on it, baby. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the news. First thing on my list, Harley-Davidson dealer notes. And here's something I have coming in from a co-worker of mine and some general stuff they said at the Harley-Dealer show uh, they're going to a modular platform in 2020. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Damn, I'm going to groove to this for a second. Mm. Tell you what it means. Give you the news. Then I'll give you the beans. Mm. Mm. Then I'll scruff up your hair. Then I'll give you the news in my underwear. But mm, I'm also wearing shoes. Are you ready for the underwears and shoes news? Mm. 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 All right. This is a junkie turdman freestyle right there. I think this is going to be my new news jam from now on. What do you guys think? Cut. Yeah. I like that hard cut. All right. So that's my new news music, by the way. And uh, I'm your news girl, Junkina Turmina. And from the Harley Davidson dealer, sh- dealer show, here comes some of the notes that I wrote down based on what they were saying. One of the things they were saying is that uh, we're not trying to buy our way into history or something like that. I forget the exact words. Um I think they were trying to burn Indian there by saying that uh, you guys disappeared for a good 50 years and then came back. Well, they didn't disappear for 50 years, but they disappeared in 53, resurfaced... I don't know. 73 resurfaced again in the 90s, resurfaced again in 2011. On and off. So that what they're saying is they're the continuous brand and they're, they're not trying to buy their way back into uh, being a, an icon. And so that was a dig at Indian who is currently creating some very nostalgic bikes, um, compared to Harley Davidson's and is, uh, kicking some ass on the modern bikes they're making. And as soon as Harley Davidson drops these other bikes that they're going to be having coming out, Indian <laughs> India's going to smoke them again. Oh no. Did I just say that? I didn't mean it, but I'll let you know why I'm saying that now. All right. From the Harley Davidson dealer show, here was something that I noticed. They kept saying bold and destructive And think differently they were really trying to pump this um, not being an old uh, you know we've been around we have legacy we have heritage and it's time to look forward and want to continue that and so they were still trying to be their bat you know a couple years ago when you watched Charlie Davidson dealer shows or looked at their ads and really analyzed it, it was all about being a rebel and destroying the norm and being be uh, you know I don't know being the dark like even they have dark custom you know line and the dark, and explore the dark side they're all about being dark and being bad and um, now and then being originals you know that too was a big thing and uh, they were showcasing some of their older bikes and I think we saw like a resurgence of like the candy paint schemes like what I mean about older bikes too is like the seventy two and the forty eight you know what I'm saying like they tried to bring back uh, year years that things were super iconic in and. Choppers and this and that, you know, like trying to make the 72 like a throwback bike with the hard candy flake and the big apes and stuff. And it looked pretty cool. I mean, they were doing it. Now it's all about what's your personal freedom, you know what I'm saying? And uh, and that's a big switch. That's a big switch towards uh, a lot of millennials and a lot of the millennials kids, um, which doesn't have a generation. The name doesn't have, uh, for the generation yet, they don't have a name. But um, those kids that are growing up are probably going to be even more based on, like, subscription stuff and uh, services and less things. Uh, from what I've read, people are owning less things and starting to do more things, which uh, I'm pretty stoked with about that. And it's just less junk to have, but we have all this digital junk now, right? So it's, it's a weird switch, and it's really weird to try and market to that. So you can't do it about just rep reputation alone being bad and all this and that because now everybody has a tattoo. When I was growing up uh, only the baddies had the tattoos and now like everyone, like your grandma might even have a, have a tattoo in like 20 years you know what I'm saying? Like I'm sure she probably does every grandma, actually a lot of grandmas that I know uh, went out and got tattoos recently because it's like a thing now before it was just like suicide girls and and uh, people in prison that used to have tattoos, maybe a marine or a navy, navy guy once in a while but God, now everybody has got, got to have a tattoo. I think my, you know, my doctor probably has a tattoo, and my dentist, they probably are all tatted up. Uh, got a tramp stamp. Him, he's probably got a tramp stamp. I have a... <laughs> I won't go into the tramp stamp story, but uh, Dr. K, just calling you out. <laughs> all right. But anyways, uh, to get back to my point, they're they're going away from the tattoos and the baddies and this and that, right? They're going to the freedoms, your personal freedoms. So I heard that a lot, and I heard... Um, being bold and destructive, so they're still trying to take that like edginess and trying to leverage that against their new. What we're doing now is bold and destructive. We're destroying the norms that we ourselves created, sort of thing. And that's what they got to do, actually, if they're going to be trying to market to uh, this future generation who doesn't have things to want to buy a thing. Hey, you need this. You know, you need this thing, and here's why. It's so you can have your freedom. Because I know you don't want. Uh, Maybe you don't want a house. Maybe you don't want to have to own a garage, you know, this and that. But this motorcycle is going to help you find freedom by opening up a lifestyle, opening up a brotherhood, opening up uh, not even a brotherhood, a kinship because brothers and sisters getting together out there on the open road, creating their own adventures, blah, 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 right? So that was a lot of the stuff that I heard. And some of the other stuff I heard, and and, and trying to engage these dealers to look at the next uh, people coming up and they even they even kind of said you know the older generations are moving out they're not we're, I don't know how many trikes they're selling but um, they're trying to engage new people younger people people that don't just want cruisers and and people that are looking to this next generation of things coming online such as electric vehicles isn't that right so it was an interesting interesting show to hear them trying to pump this out to those dealers that were present and there was dealers from all over present so they had to They have to have that tip because I'm telling you in China and in some other, some of the other, uh, countries that are in that trade block, they're all going to pure electric, at least they're planning on it. And we might talk about that a little bit here. So it was just interesting to hear, um, hear them try to use these different verbiages and try to start the conversations and start putting the, uh, different, i don't know the different wording and different spin on things now because in five and ten years down the line that needs to be in place right now so that people are embracing it it takes a while for harley people to change you know not maybe not the company but the people and even the salesmen and everybody that have to buy into this to to make the customers buy into it they're gonna they need to start it now so that's i could see them totally doing that um one of the points they made about the platforms coming up, they're going to be modular starting in 2020 and they're already pretty modular. But I guess they're going more modular cuz even like Wiggins and I were talking about, there's the Softtails are modular now. They kill the Dyna, they merged the Dyna and the Softail together onto a new platform, but there's still like three frames. And with the Sportster I've seen there's a couple different frames. And there's a couple different, about three or four different suspension setups. But, you know, you can kind of swap and mix and match, but you can't kind of also. I mean, there's certain limitations that you have with each one. And when you're looking in the PNA catalog and all this and that, it'll tell you, like, some things just won't fit other... Frames or other models within that family, like the Sportster family, they don't all they can't put everything from one Sportster onto another Sportster. There's things that had to match, same with the Softail, same, of course, the same with the Tourers, because some of them don't even have the same style of fairings. So I'm not 100% sure how modular they're going to go, but that was the, some of the big talk is that in 2020, they're going to go to modular platforms. And what I believe that is, is going to be for the motors to be able to swap in and out. They're going to have probably a 975. Um, the Street Fighter, they're also probably going to have a 1250 Street Fighter and it's probably going to be the motor that's different and then just like uh, the R9Ts from BMW went modular and some of the Ducatis like with the Scrambler went modular and BMW and Ducati have continued to talk about becoming even more modular with some of their like the S platforms and the R platforms. Uh, Thus uh, Harley Davidson is talking about that as well, going modular with their stuff coming up I honestly also think, and Wiggins and I have talked about this, the Sportster may be going away for this new 1250 and 975 platform. They may be upping the displacement. Um, So, yeah, we'll see. The next generation riders, that was also, like I just mentioned, uh, that was one of the big conversations they had. I kind of already mentioned that just now. I didn't read my list beforehand. Um, Then the ADV bikes. Uh, this is crazy what they even said it in their own meeting the adb bikes were n- almost necessary for europe where adb sales are king right now So uh, i've heard a lot of I just listened to an awesome podcast called uh, above idol I, I like above idol. I have good opinions. They were talking about the adb harley adb um, everybody has right everybody has and they were talking about how it kind of looks like a uh, like a whale shark or a manta ray and i'm cracking up because that's exactly i couldn't figure out like what the front end looks like but that's exactly what it looks like to me (laughs) or bender from uh (laughs) from uh, futurama it just has like this weird opening for the headlight and it's almost like a toaster uh it's not much of a fairing it's just like a box up there that connects to the extremely boxy-looking fuel tank all aesthetics aside uh, the necessi- necessity to build this bike, and hopefully build platforms off of it, and hopefully like change it up a little bit and make it look a little better, is because uh, people in you know in Europe that thing is is I don't know for whatever reason there's a lot of ADV stuff happening. It probably could be Ewan and Charlie, could be uh, just how people get around. They more use ADVs over there than sport bikes. Blah blah blah. I have no idea. And um, so the ADB thing was necessary just because that segment is growing. I remember a few years ago, right when I, before I started this podcast, right when I was starting it, actually, Steve from the Cafe Racer podcast had uh, talked to him briefly. And he asked me if the ADB, do you think the ADB segment's dying? And obviously it's growing. Like that's the one thing is blowing up. It's only got bigger since he asked me that. I don't know what... At the time they thought it was dying But it's literally only got bigger And they're expanding to smaller bikes So we might even see Harley Davidson Maybe if their ADV is really uh, successful Move up into the Maybe they'll go smaller displacements We'll have to see Um, What else did they say? Oh the live wire The, The actual live wire that they rode Onto the dealer show looks awesome and it's a little bit different from the one that they rode, that they had out testing, and that the one that they've used for their press. But the, it actually looked really good, and um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that thing turns out when it, uh, when it you know, finally uh, appears. We'll, we'll figure out, see what's going on with that, and we'll get some specs on it, and the charging and all that. I don't think, that, I really didn't know if they went too much into it at the show, uh, but the one looked awesome. Also, uh, the technical, technological advances and dealers have to change and they, they were told the dealers and I are kind of already talked about this a second ago they told them that they had to have the courage to embrace change and it, they meant it from both sides they meant it from the technological standpoints because you cannot exist in the world of tomorrow if you're using technology from yesterday you know what I'm saying? And the attitude is the same way. You can't go in there with like a 1970s attitude and expect to sell bikes to kids that are just now being born. It's just not going to work. And if you poo-poo everything that your company sells except for the old cruisers and stuff like that, it's just not going to work. So I really just interesting, super, super interesting to hear them pumping change out to everybody. And like I said earlier, having these people buy into it, now and then take it back to their dealerships and getting everybody there to buy into it and finally get convinced and then like five years from now be like yeah this is what we sell and I I like it you know and I've and I've grown to like it over the last five years rather than like in five years from now when everything's on the showroom floor and you're like yeah this stuff's crap like (laughs) I I, I bet I guess I better learn to love it so they're trying to push the change now And we still got 19, 20, and 21. So we got three years uh, in order for them to get on board with all this stuff before that actually starts allegedly popping into showrooms. Last thing I got from Harley Davidson, not even from the dealer show, just from a coworker of mine. He hates the FXDR114, the new bike. That was a big news they dropped at the show was brand new bike. Um, Surprise, surprise. And it was nothing of what they announced (laughs) in their little videos. Um, He hated it. And the thing is, that means Harley's doing something good because my coworker is old. (laughs) Not super old, but kind of old. And he's into the, uh, you know, not into these young kid bikes. So the thing is, is that he's like, hey, there's no bags on it. It's not a couch glide. Boom. That means Harley Davidson's going right in the right direction. The thing is, is that they, they're, they need to basically get away from that market. They need to branch out, and this is one step in the right direction. While it does look lean and agile and fast, I mean, it's not like a V-Rod or anything like that, so it's not crazy radically different, but it is a different direction, and it's kind of trying to look a little different it's power cruiser for sure because it's 114 and all that and if you look at the body design of it it's still kind of you know i think it's got either like kind of mid forward or forward controls on it and stuff so it's not like totally some new retro or uh, some new crazy uh, total departure from harley davidson but it does kind of enter the power cruiser sort of thing and the fact that it doesn't have bags on it and it doesn't have you know, a sissy bar on the, on the back. I think that means Harley Davidson is showing you that they're committed to the stepping out in the right direction into a new direction, at least. And, uh, the old guys don't like it. That just means, uh, one more thing. Harley Davidson is doing right for the next gen riders. That's uh, all of our opinions and everything from the dealer show and all the notes I had on the dealer show. But Harley Davidson is also in the news lately. And here's a couple of articles that I read just the other day. few, maybe three weeks ago, I think, I uh, read an article or saw an article posted from KMBC, which I think is out of Kansas City, and it had announced that the first wave of the Kansas City or the Harley-Davidson layoffs at the Kansas City plant were taking effect uh, that effectively that Friday. Um, and basically, the uh, to quote the article... Uh, A sad day would be an understatement. This plant was built 20 years ago, said Joe Capra of the International Association of Machinists. Um, And then, end quote, two of the three shifts at the plant were being closed down, like I said. And then um, a lot of people were blaming Harley-Davidson. To quote the article again, I think this is uh, from Capra again, quote, they got millions of dollars when this administration came in and they took that money, they sold back stocks, and using those millions of dollars started manufacturing overseas, Capra said end quote. Um, so yeah, basically, they they did. And <laughs> a lot of corporations actually did that with those with the tax cuts. And you think that, uh, you know, they're claiming that Harley Davidson did not reinvest that like, some $700 million or something like that into new, they were putting that into new products and new motorcycles and instead of the plants and then taking the tax cuts and buying and selling, you know, back shares of the stock, yada, yada. Um, it's, you know what, buying back or reinvesting in the company doesn't make the tariffs go away and doesn't make tariffs in other countries go away. Uh, Negotiating a better trade deal does that sort of stuff. So it's not entirely Harley Davidson's fault. And it's true that they did buy back stocks and that they did uh, shift investment to other things, you know, shift back that money to other, other investments. But the thing is, is that that's what most corporations did with those tax cuts. So, Uh, The Kansas City plant, of course, going to be closing down, moving toward closing down. Some of the production being moved to the York, Pennsylvania plant. Some of the production being moved over to Thailand. And uh, to be fair, like I said, you know, taking those tax cuts and reinvesting in that plant, it does nothing to offset the costs of like 100% tariffs in other countries. And negotiating with those countries uh, will... Uh, undo those tariffs but at any rate uh the harley davidson making you know a few months ago i think had start making cuts with the uh the unions over here the the uh, labor like the machinist unions and uh, stuff like that so different different unions of of uh, skilled workers were starting to get cut uh, i think as early as 2017 maybe um and then so this is should be no surprise you know that they're getting everyone's going to be blasting them they're going to be be basically flamed on online and, and in the news and this and that. So interesting. Uh, the other article I read about Harley-Davidson that was just actually uh, more recent, just a, I think it was this week, um, Harley-Davidson cut ties with Alta already. Six months into their uh, joint venture, they, what did they have? They had a um, an equity investment in Alta where I think they're going to be sharing technology and infrastructure. They would basically be investing in Alta and then, in, as in return, you know, for those investment dollars for Alta, uh, they would sh- Alta would share some of their technology infrastructure, um, so on and so forth, with Harley Davidson regarding electric, obviously electric uh, vehicles, such as the Livewire. And uh, Dave, actually, Dave Shoup sent me uh, some video of the Livewire just recently, and um, yeah, it d- it definitely looks a lot better than the one that they had out you know, beforehand that the the uh, prototype model that they had out a couple few years ago um, definitely looks a lot more sporty. It looks actually a little bit more like the the FXD-114 in a way. But what does this mean for the live wire? What does cutting ties with Alta mean for the future of their whole electric program that they were going to be coming on board with? All these smaller displacement, like electric scooters and pedal assist bicycle, you know, electric assist bicycle. Um, their little flat tracker thing that was basically going to probably be styled with Alta, you know what I'm saying? So it's very interesting to see that they've already cut ties six months into this uh, equity investment that they had, you know, and makes you wonder what both companies are going to do. So that's my Harley-Davidson news for the week. Uh, What do you know about machine guns? I'm sure any self-respecting gamer knows what an AK-47, you may have blown the heads off some baddies or some attacking animals in a game before with an AK-47. Um, it's a gun. It's a type of uh, assault rifle made popular. And I think the AK stands for Automatic Kalashnikov. And so rifle makers, we've seen it before. Birmingham Small Arms started making uh, motorcycles. And Enfield, Royal Enfield. Hmm, Enfield is not the same Enfield as the rifle maker. I think they just picked up the name because they were close to the town where the rifle maker was or something like that. But I'm sure there's other people that have got into tooling and stuff like that, making weapons of some sort, and then decided they were going to get into making motorbikes because or bicycles even. So, uh, Koleshnikov, they are uh, getting into the electrics game. The first, the first thing that I saw was a car. And if you know anything about Russia, you go and look at the dash cam footage from YouTube... Uh, And if you do this and you've never done it before, be prepared for hours upon hours of the craziest driving you've ever seen. There's such good stuff coming out of Russia and dash cams. They have to have it for insurance purposes over there. So everybody's got one. And the thing that is like a constant in these videos is these little square boxy cars that were made. I, I think they were made back in the 50s. And the Russians made them basically like a friggin' tank. Uh, using Russian space metal technology that never—they're one of the these cars that never deteriorates, and you can't even recycle it, and none of the materials break down. So you'll still see these things driving around, blowing out black smoke. Uh, They're—it's like living in Beijing, just driving one of these cars. Um, sometimes you only have two lug nuts on the wheel, and they'll still be hobbling down. Like you just can't kill these things, right? So one of the electrics that I saw them come out with—the concept—looked like. A uh, 21st century version of one of those old crazy little boxy cars. So it's such a it's such a crazy cool thing. They love that ass uh, aesthetic, and they transferred it over to their upcoming technology. Um, and also, they had another. Uh, I forget. It was like another one came out. I forget if it was like a sports car. What it was. Uh, also from Kalashnikov. And now they got a motorcycle, which is the UM one. Looks a little bit like a CRF 250 rally or uh, maybe the new CRF 400 that dropped. It doesn't look all, you know, it doesn't have square tubing and look all ugly like the, um, you know, when Chris was criticizing the zeros. But uh, that the little cowl that it has right over the headlight looks just, it screams Honda to me. Um, It's got inverted forks that look like they either could come off a dirt bike or a downhill mountain bike rig like uh, the front end this thing doesn't look very substantial the tires look like fat bicycle tires but i did look at the sizes and they are uh 19s or uh i looked earlier and i can't tell now what it says i think it says 18 or 19 on there but um spoked wheels the, the, the brakes this is another thing the brakes look weak uh it looks like a mountain bike front end on that thing um the I'm just looking at the caliper, laughing. The caliper is basically about the size of nail clippers, <laughs> and and the rotor is like a tiny mountain bike rotor. So I don't know. Maybe there's, uh, maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe a lot of dirt bikes don't have big old honking calipers like a like a road race bike or anything does because they're going to be on dirt. So the UM one made its debut. Uh, it stands for Urban Moto One, but it made its debut at the International military technical forum or international technical military forum, something like that. So I'm assuming that it's going to be used for military purposes. So the urban moto one, maybe it's for urban, you know, going through urban wastelands, who knows, or maybe it's just for, um, short distances. It's a little bit heavy. Um, and depending on the battery size, I'm guessing it was, it was somewhere around the 400, 500 pound mark. Um, but also, it's only going 62 miles an hour top speed, and I think the range was 93 miles. So, I mean, that's good for military stuff, I guess, if you're just doing a little bit of recon out in the field, um, close distance recon, or maybe, you know, stuff like that. Or maybe you just, you ride it out, you recon, and you don't come back. I don't know what it's exactly going to be for, but uh, the ranges and all that stuff uh, don't look good. Too hot right now, but it is just their first breakout model. And uh, well, I guess we'll see what comes out of it uh, f- from a machine gun maker. So, <laughs> And keeping it in the Eastern European uh, side of the world, I'm pretty sure Russia and China touch butts, right? I'm pretty sure they do. <laughs> At least over in, like near Siberia and stuff. Um, China, something I read about China... And maybe a reason why Russia is trying to make its own autonomous—I mean, not autonomous—electric vehicles at this point is because China is building. You know, China has has vowed to go all, all electric pretty here here pretty soon, pretty here soon. I'm not ta- I'm not talking too straight right now. Um, anyway, so China read this huge article about China building these. Gigafactories, as we know, Elon Musk has a factory here in Nevada called the Gigafactory, and his goal was to take over battery production, uh, like, I don't know, have the majority of global battery production happening here or something like that. And what we further read later is that China plans to ramp up and be like 66% of the world's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's lithium-ion, I'm pretty sure it's like a pretty specific type of battery, and I'm sure that battery is uh, lithium-ion. And anyways... Did I say lithium ion? I meant lithium ion. I'm as I'm just as bad as the guy that I'm about to talk about next. Uh, but anyway, the China um, article that I read about the Chinese gigafactories is that they they're not more they're not so much gigafactories they are giga cities. And I have no idea. I'm so bad. You could uh, they were talking about gig, uh, thirty megawatts or something like that of power that these things are producing. And I was like thirty megawatts. Like that's kind of like telling somebody that something's worth like you know, 54,000, uh, blog cheery. And you're like, well, what's a blog cheery? And then you say, well, that is a nickel in your, or you say that's a, you know, a million dollar bill. Oh, okay. Well now you got some perspective. So 30 megawatts or whatever the hell they were talking about. I have no idea what that really means. Is that enough to power my remote control for my television. Well, it turns out it's like as much as like a city of like 100,000 people or something like that uses in one year. So I thought, "Whoa, that's a mega amount of, a a amount of power." So, how are they doing it? They are using their their they have these um before we get to how they're doing it, let me tell you a little bit about their infrastructure they're building. China already has all these crazy ghost towns all over the country because uh I think they get I think they were trying to get um they were trying to spend money on development and developing parts of the, the nation. So much land in China, and a lot of it is arid, and a lot of it's uh, out in the middle of nowhere, you know, rural, super rural. And so they're trying to develop, and they've got they need to spend money or whatever. So they'll go out and build these crazy ghost cities. You know what I'm saying? Or they build this huge city with skyscrapers and everything, and then never use it. It's like a, the world's craziest movie set. Uh, so these giga cities they're building, similar except for the fact that they they're needed to pow- to make the power to you know be the place where they're making this crazy power. How are they making the power? Well, these giga cities that they're making. Uh, are basically the infrastructure for the power plants and they're making all these megawatts of power by pumping, you know, they're creating electricity and then they have excess electricity. How do you store all that is the problem. Um, how they're storing it is in the water supply and I'll tell you how they do that. They use the excess power that these f- uh, factory cities are making and they pump water uphill. They, they use electric motors to pump water uh, upwards up into like a reservoir or a lake and they, they're behind a dam. And then when they need power, they release the water and it comes down using all that potential and turns these huge turbines like hydroelectric, uh, you know, hydroelectric turbine power is how they're, how they're making that. So to, to use the, you know, it's kind of funny that they're using this energy to pump it uphill because you're like, well, they're using energy, but all that water is potential and is potential energy. So basically, um, they have these crazy crazy cities and and that are working the whole city exists to service the power plant and then the power plant's making crazy amounts of power. So they're gonna have it I guess if they build a grid system they'll be totally you know everything will be totally on grid and it'll make going electric that much easier in that gigantic gigantic uh, country. Newsflash I just had a crazy idea Crazy idea. What if? We go to, how would this work? How would this work? What if we go to, uh, there's like an economy of production where, like, you should, basically, you should produce what you have the resources to produce, right? It's like this whole thing. Well, I won't get into that, but what if China just became the battery for the rest of the world? Like, uh, they became the world's utility, electric utility. And then, place America could become the grocery store for the world. You know, we could have Africa could be the mine for the world. You know, mine all the different stuff out there. Man, wouldn't that be crazy if China just made the world's uh, electricity and shipped it out to the rest of us? However, utilities. We know, I know, California buys from Arizona. How do they get it over here? I have no idea. But uh, that's my idea for the week. Okay. All right. Next up on the chopping block here for the news headlines, uh, I got something. Listen to a podcast, finally didn't read an article. Listen to a podcast, and um, the gentleman was uh, talking about autonomous vehicles. So I'm going to just say autonomous. He inspired me. So here we go. Speaking of autonomous vehicles and all the technology that it takes to run them and make the safety even for semi autonomous and just helpful vehicles like the ADAs, which I believe is the Advanced Driver Aids or something like that uh the very very interesting the show because it touched on something that i used to do i used to work at a body shop and we used to repair vehicles right and we would use aftermarket parts a lot to keep the cost down for the customer and for the uh, insurance company and only certain times would we use oem parts i mean if it was like a structural piece of course you know like suspension brakes yada yada we would use it. I've said yada yada a lot in this episode, by the way. Uh, we would use it because there's no replacement for OEM, which is Original Equipment Manufacturer. Aftermarket stuff was like bumpers, fenders, hoods, door skins, you know, stuff like that, windshields, you, you name it. But nowadays, even the windshields have some crazy sensors and stuff on them. And the more you go, to, we're going to LiDAR and radar and crazy cameras, uh, the guy from the um, IIHS, which I believe is the Insurance Institute and Highway Safety or the Institute of Insurance and Highway Safety, something like that. it's it's a um, it's a bureau over here or like an establishment over here in the states that does you know basically measure safety and and uh, does a bunch of testing, independent testing. And so they were testing backup, uh, even though we're getting aids now for backing up even. I mean, we've got all the technology, we've had technology coming out for the past, uh, I feel like decade, uh, focusing on forward uh, motion, you know, and making sure stuff is autonomous forward and uh, and all this uh, lane mitigation and adaptive cruise control, you name it, we've got it. Backing up, however, (laughs) there's still accidents occurring now that we've got the front sorted out for the most part. You can still back into someone in a parking lot, or backing out of your driveway and run into something, or run over something, even though you have a backup camera. So the cameras now are going to be linking to the um, the brake automatic braking, and so you can't back over stuff, and you can't back into that car that you can't see in the parking lot. Your car will be helping you. They're testing that stuff right now, and uh, aftermarket parts may be a thing of the past, which is going to be hard for. Repair shops. And uh, this uh, kind of affects motorcycling because let's say somebody, you know, pulls their car into the garage to fit the, I don't know, fit the trash cans in on Wednesday nights or something. I don't know. Or Or maybe you have a motorcycle and you're trying to park your motorcycle in the garage as well behind the car. And you pull the car too close to the wall and bump it in the front, or you back it up, you know, you back into the garage and you back it up. Well, all the cameras and sensors and whatnot that are in the bumpers and that maybe even. Uh, I don't know how some of this new technology works, but there may be even like a camera or a lens back there that can get scratched or whatever. You got to replace it. You got to recalibrate it. And independent shops can't really do that anymore. When I worked at an independent shop, we got trained on all sorts of stuff of how to replace this and that, but it wasn't, cars back then weren't being controlled by these very, very precise instrumentation. So uh, that statement being being said by the uh, the manufacturers is that you're going to need to bring your car to be repaired by a dealer. You're going to have to have it recalibrated by a dealer, or at least the repair shop's going to have to have it calibrated by a dealer. So everything's going to have to be sublet because even painting, you know, you scratch your bumper, you scratch your fender, you take it, we take it off, you repair it, or you put an aftermarket one on. And the aftermarket ones, you know, they're made from roughly a mold of the original. So they're not, they're not original. They're not coming from the, uh, stamped from the factory. They're coming from a stamp from a factory part that was remade, you know, and retooled for. And so it's, sometimes they can be a little off. They can even come a little bent depending on how they get stored at the, um, in the, in the parts department, whatever. So sometimes you have to massage that stuff to fit. And if there's a sensor or a camera or something associated with that, like if it's a bumper or there's like a sensor that mounts to the fender or something like that or inside the apron and you don't get it quite right that could affect the way that performs especially as autonomous vehicles come online that could affect the way it performs uh when you're riding next to pedestrians or motorcycles and you could cause an accident apparently even the the guy from the IIHS was saying that even paint painting a little too thickly uh around stuff you know but when when you measure paint by mills mill uh thousands of an inch, basically. And so when we were at a, when I used to work at the body shop, all the repairs had to be made within thousands of an inch. It has to be basically like it's coming from the factory and just a little bit more, like a thousandth extra of paint or clear coat or something like that could effectively change the range of vision the field of vision for some of these sensors and cameras and radar this and that and it can create calibration issues and problems so you could be running over a motorcyclist or it doesn't break or it doesn't the adaptive um, cruise control doesn't work and so you're following a little too close and next thing you know you're running somebody over and uh, or your lane split technology doesn't sense the motorcycles there because it can't see it yada yada See, there I go again, yada, yada. So, anyway, that was an interesting, a super interesting uh, aspect that I never ever thought of um, as far as like autonomous vehicles and all the technology that's coming on board nowadays having to be calibrated. That's going to um, create issues down the line. If you have, you know, how is that going to affect smaller repair shops and uh Ma and pa shops or your local mechanic? your mechanic. And maybe when motorcycles start getting this technology, are you going to be able to take it to your close by dealer? Are you going to drive all the way? I know so many people live in rural areas or the large dealerships are far away, but there might be a local repair shop nearby. You have to take it all the way to the dealer to get repaired, you know, because of the calibration issues, because of the safety factors that are coming out. Can not we just go back to the old days where people use their heads to be safe? I guess not because, uh, you're too busy texting. Are you? Even te- are you listening right now to what I'm saying? Or are you you're too, too busy over there texting, looking at Instagram? Um, last thing, last piece of news I want to get into regarding Indian of all things. Uh, I said, did I say it earlier? I might have edited it out. That Indian is kicking Harley Davidson's booty on the racetrack, but uh, as far as technologically, they are coming in second. <laughs> so, um, Indian is just now catching up with the stuff that Harley-Davidson had uh, back in 2011, which is the EITMS. I used to call it items, but I don't know what Harley called it. But that was the engine idle temperature management system. And I'm not even sure if they still have it on their current vehicles because they. Uh, this is back before the Project Rushmore all started and the water cooling and this and that. The rear cylinders were just hot, you know. People uh, always had sorts of cooling uh, aftermarket cooling stuff for the rear cylinders. So you roll the throttle forward at a gas, at a stoplight, at a gas station, at a stoplight, and it cuts the the uh, spark to the rear cylinder, effectively cooling it for the most part Um, if you're sitting there for a long time and if you can't split lanes and you're in other States and you're sitting at a red light and you can't filter up to the front or you are sitting in traffic, that could be problematic. Your nether regions become quite toasty. So, uh, Indian is finally getting that on their big touring lines and Indian's still air cooled. So if you uh, want to air cooled American V twin, you're going to have to go to Indian for the most part. Uh, so they're getting that. They're also getting riding modes. So they're kind of catching up technologically to where Harley's been and harley's had a head start there's no excuse for harley to come in second on the race racetrack and in the showroom but uh yeah indian's getting some of that too having said that uh did i mention this earlier when we were mentioning the harley stuff that as soon as these harley models drop indian's gonna start dropping they have an ftr 1200 um, production model for 2019 uh listed and or you know Slated, And I think they just announced their 2019 lineup. I'm not too excited to talk about that right now, but we will get into that at some point. Right now, I'd like to go to upcoming current events. I keep pushing the wrong button because I have two computers. All right, if you're in Milwaukee today, check this out. Flat Out Friday unofficial guide to the 115th weekend, but Mama Tried's Flat Out Friday put this out, so I think this is pretty official. If you're listening right now, today, uh, yesterday was the police and civilian skills competition at Miller Park, and the Flat Out Friday pre-party happened. I hope you got to that. Today, Friday, August 31st, Bradford Beach Brawl uh, from 10 to 4 is the practice only, it says. Um, so I better put this out soon so you can hear it, right? Um, also, the 115th on 5th Street Motorcycle Alley is the street party from noon to midnight. Uh, the Run What You Brung drag races from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. at Great Lakes Drag in Union Grove, Wisconsin. And I... It says Dragway, but I do believe that it's the Great Lakes Dragway because I think I have a shirt that says so on it. Also, uh, Flat Out Friday. what? Where did my music go? Flat Out Friday Street Party, bands uh, from twelve p.m. to eight p.m. at the uh, Panther Arena, and that's going to be, uh, you know, basically that's flat out, flat out Friday, the Brady Street Experience, going from four p.m. to midnight, and Flat Out Friday Motorcycle Races. Uh, Start at 6.30 p.m. at the UWM Panther Arena. That's the University of Wilmokie, Wisconsin. And uh, maybe it's the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Why would they do it that way, though? September 1st, shut your mouth. It's the uh, Little Switzerland Hill Climb from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Little Switzerland. (laughs) Uh, Also, the Bradford Beach Brawl, presented by TROG, which is the Race of Gentlemen, from noon to 7.30 p.m. Uh, Again, on 5th Street and Motorcycle Alley, there's another party from noon to midnight. That's 12 hours of partying, my friend. And the Brady Street Experience, again, from 4 p.m. to midnight. The uh, 115th and Hog 35th Moto Carnival at the Veterans Park from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. And also... Dig this, baby. The Time Machine Nationals, Great Lakes Dragway, and I do believe it's Dragaway, Union Grove, Wisconsin. I wonder if any of our WIR top 10 group will be out there. Check them out on Facebook to be our top 10 bikes. Also, I believe they're going to be having a Friday race coming up here pretty soon. Sunday, September 2nd. Uh, more races from the Great Lakes Dragway and the 115th Anniversary Parade at Miller Park to the lakefront at 1 p.m. All right. Uh, also coming up is the Hell on Wheels. September 8th, Saturday night, the Transworld Slam Fest at uh, Milestone MX Park. Gates open at noon. Uh, better get out there good old-fashioned saturday night run what you're brung dirt track races along with the trans world slam fest also hell on wheels uh day in the dirt it's going to be happening november 24th that happens every november 24th out at Glen helen uh the season opener for motocross scrambles on the national track at Glen helen is sunday january 6 2019 so don't uh miss out on that and also happening in january of 2019 the baja 4000 if you're into that go check them out on instagram baja 4000 and and, uh they have website details and stuff there that's going to be an interesting waste it goes from los angeles uh, that waste goes from (laughs) los angeles uh down to cabo san lucas and back to los angeles 4,000 miles of uh gut what's the word i'm looking for um prolapsing Uh, action. (laughs) Butt prolapsing action. Um, October 27th and 28th in Ojai, California. It's the White Lightning Campout. There's going to be a costume contest talent show and you can win a mini chopper. Several sponsors listed. This is put on by our good buddies at Lucky Wheels Garage. Old Ty and Jack over there letting it all hang out in Ojai. Uh, I think there are tickets and they may be sold out or they will sell out so you need to get on this ASA blibbin P. Uh, Also, this weekend... Uh, check out Steady Garage you can find out about the Rebel Run that they're doing they uh honda rebel they are gonna be celebrating them in full effect yo uh also upcoming will be the uh distinguished gentleman's ride happening september 30th and also september 29th and 30th or 30th and 31st no 29th and 30th i'm pretty sure it's gonna be the wiggins hooligan camp out at el mirage dry lake bed you can bring your time trials bike or your flat track bike or your motocross bike or even sport bike. Run out there on the dry lake beds. Go uh, off-roading in the hills. Um, what else is coming up? You let me know. You got any um, anything coming up? The SoCal Cycle Swap Me, I'm assuming, is going to be happening. Let me think. No, this Sunday is going to be the first Sunday in September. So I guess it happened uh, last week. So pay attention and go out next month for the SoCal Cycle Swap Me. Also, vintage OC bike nights. Check, check uh Vintage. Oh, hang on one sec. Let me get this info for you. All right, got it. Vintage Bike OC. You heard the interview with them last week on the show. Check them out. They're going to be having their next meet Sunday, September 9th uh, from 2 to 4 at Castanetas. Go to VintageBikeOC.com for more details. Also, check out the the, uh, Vintage venice vintage motorcycle club and uh, check out any clubs in your local area if you got any any events that you'd like to have featured here on the show go ahead and send them creative writing podcast gmail.com we're gonna be right back with uh, the second half of the show everybody welcome back to creative riding motorcycle podcast we are here we got a, a special guest on the line since wigs is not in the studio with me tonight to blabber and yammer on i thought i'd pull in some outside help and uh, tonight on the phone we have a special guest uh hey guest you want to go ahead and fill everybody in on who this is
1: yeah so this is uh brian Honeycut. uh i live up here in fairfield california
0: you know what yeah wiggins was asking me where you live and i was like i think san francisco just because you seem to hit a lot of the north uh norcal right. stuff and so i'm fairfield is that outside of
1: is that's that- that's outside of san francisco in between uh sacramento and san francisco it's actually where travis air force base is so i guess it's considered east bay north bay right at that edge line just right just one town over from vallejo
0: okay oh sweet okay cool i know pretty much right where that is um so hey what uh what the hell do you do up there what do you do for a living
1: oh so for a living i uh, drive a truck i deliver fuel in the bay area
0: sweet yeah so i'm I'm guessing that you see a ton of traffic and a ton of weird driving and (laughs) just about everything up there
1: i do yeah and with that career i've taken uh smith driving and i became a smith driving instructor so that's actually helped me in street riding, believe it or not. It's di- little little different between a 80,000-pound vehicle and a 600-pound vehicle, but the same concepts kind of work, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, scanning way ahead, I'm assuming, and, and yeah, all exactly. that great stuff. Rad. So, hey, how long have you been uh, riding?
1: Yeah, so I started riding when I was 17. You know, I, was one of, I grew up, I, I have an identical twin brother, so he kind of... Pushed the motorcycle deal we grew up racing bmx bikes and uh my mother was one of those typical mothers that's uh you'll never have a motorcycle under my roof type of thing so you know he pushed her and finally when we were 17 we uh, did a delay of the into the air force so she allowed us to buy motorcycles and it was a uh, kind of a small you know riding motorcycles from the time then but in the time we went into the air force so it was very long very very short short time so and then while in the Air Force, I had a motorcycle, but they didn't ride too much. And then we grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the Midwest, so... Uh the, the riding season is pretty short. Plus, it's kind of a weekend hobby more than anything. So we did some uh, road racing in 2000, 2001 and some motocross stuff. And my twin brother was always in the mix with this this thing, you know. Crazy. So and then seven, years, seven or eight years ago when I moved out here, I got a motorcycle. And that was kind of my mode of transportation. You know, I lived in Oakland, so I commuted back and forth. know 60 miles each way so of course i had a motorcycle so splitting lanes became a a thing so
0: yeah hey and uh yeah living in indiana is that's funny wiggins is always talking about india there's so many people out here from from indiana i've been meeting more and more it's kind of interesting so uh just what brought you out here from indiana just after after um the air force i'm guessing
1: oh you know kind of a bad marriage kind of she wanted to come out here and it was a last ditch attempt to try to save that and obviously it didn't work. So anyways, that's kind of what it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but once I got out here and started, you know, riding the roads and seeing how great it is to ride motorcycles out of here, I, I really won't live anywhere else, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and that's tough. I mean, that's the, that's the thing we, we pay a, we, I call it the uh, golden state tax because it is it's so nice out here. And you can do, you know, you can split lanes, you can do so much stuff out here. Um, and there's, you know, if you ever get into electrics, there's charging stations everywhere. But at the same time, you got to pay for that, especially uh, up in uh, San Francisco area. I mean, I think minimum wage up there has to be about $800 for to, yeah. to you live. Know. But, you know, you live in a good area. You live right between, I mean, you got a ton of good motocross tracks up there, and there's a few. I mean there's a few road race tracks up there by you and so i, I imagine there's all sorts of riding and then the hills and, and whatnot just for regular cruising if you're on a cruiser or a adv bike or any of that stuff it seems like you're in prime prime real estate up there
1: yeah for sure you know uh sonoma is 20 minutes from me so there's a cart track there and they run every monday and uh, i have mondays off i've been out there a lot of times but uh it, it's convenient and then uh thunder hills you know up the road and stockton's got a go-kart track uh, dixon's got a go-kart track atwater's got a, the go-kart track and there's a guy that runs uh Mini norcal mini moto so it's mainly getting younger guys started guys like bobby fong started there you know stockton go-kart track and uh so it's good. And then, uh, you know, some of us old guys go out there and help, you know, give funds so the young kids can have a place to ride. So it's a good time.
0: Yeah, man, that's awesome. And Bobby Fong, I didn't think about, there's a lot
1: of, uh, Norco yeah, I mean, there's, there's like Corey Ventura, you know, he's, oh, got, right. he's really, really doing good in the the lightweight, uh, Moto America class, you know, a lot of guys, you know, Rossi Moore, all those young guys starting up, you know, you see them come through. So it's, it's cool. I mean, and, uh, you know, the sport's really, I wouldn't call it dead. It's suppressed. I mean, there's not much of American road racing, but there's a lot of guys up and coming through this through this uh, place that I race, you know. So it's good to see.
0: Yeah. And, I, you know, I used to be a huge road race enthusiast back when Speed Vision was, uh, you know, speed and all that. And they would play it, and it was kind of big. But, I mean, hell, that was like 10 years ago, you know, by – by I, I rough estimate, I'm thinking that was about a decade ago that that was really uh, popularized and, and had a, any sort of following. I mean, I, I've seen the Daytona 200 kind of fall off the map, and that used to be like a yeah. thing that people would come around from the world to see. Yeah, and so for sure. yeah, and I recently got back into road racing because I noticed that you could stream it on um, BN Sport on their YouTube channel. They do a live right. stream, and otherwise, you got to have like a special sports package to get that here. So. Uh, Once I figured out that I could watch it again, uh, I got super stoked. And Corey Ventura, um, Sean Ungevarg – I can't say that guy's last name. It's uh, Sean something and uh, the Alex Dumas kid. Like those guys are all doing super good. And And, uh, and then you've also got –
1: Yeah. You've also got Andrew Lee. He's out of the Central Valley in the Fresno area. So he's grown up on go-kart tracks and he's dominating the, uh, thousand CC super sport class this year. So,
0: yeah. So, so many of those guys is pretty fun to watch and yeah, I forget they're half of them are California natives, but, um, so when you, when you started out at 17, uh,
1: what were you riding? Uh, my first bike was a KZ six fifty. So sweet. What year? Uh, I believe it was a 76. It still had spoked wheels, and it had the single disc on the front, so I'm pretty sure it was a 76. It wasn't an L. it wasn't the LTD; it was the standard KZ. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's rad. Yeah, I'm I'm restoring an old 550 right now, and yeah, they yeah, pretty funny. I mean, it's funny the stuff they had back then. Like, it has self-canceling turn signals and stuff, and it's like what? Like a lot of bikes don't have that nowadays. It's so weird, but
1: uh, right. And that 76 had the kickstart and electric start. Oh, boom!
0: Yeah, that was like the that was for for me like the the late 60s to mid. 70s was like the best year for bikes you know i don't know the the tech wasn't too crazy but it was also coming into the you know it was kind of they're trying to get better and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't but uh so what have you owned over the years that was your first one uh how many bikes have you had yeah
1: man i would have to think uh so (laughs) I, i can name them real quick i was over in greece in the air force and i had a uh Honda XL600R. If you remember those, they like the street version of the XR600. Yeah, yeah. Big 600 single twin carburetors. It was just a bitch to start, you know. Those things are a pain in the butt. Yet, but anyways, wait, wait, I, was
0: that a, bike. Was that a kicker? You had to jump off a wall to kick that was. thing?
1: Yeah, <laughs> kick start. had decompression lever yeah. on it. Yeah, it was a pain in the ass. But the, then after that, I had uh, – my brother had a CB900F Super Sport down in uh, – florida it was probably an 81 it was the eddie lawson replica yeah so i had that bike for a little bit and then i always liked the uh, 85 86 gpz 900 when they went to the ninja that the one in top gun that bike so yeah I, so i bought one of those and it was a really good bike and then i traded that bike for a uh what year was it An 80 let me think it was a 92 cr250 dirt bike
0: Yep, so I had I had that a, bike. I had a CR, I can I can never remember if it was a CR or, or XR two fifty. Okay. Uh, was, yeah.
1: was it a two-stroke? No. Okay, then it was an XR. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because the two strokes were the Jeremy McGrath replica full-on race bike, two strokes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, I had a bike, I didn't even know what I had at the time. I was just like, yeah, I'll take that.
1: <laughs> yeah, then I traded that bike for a ninety-four Kawasaki ZX9 that a guy had bought salvaged, did all the body work, but couldn't get it to run. And it, the uh, the timing trigger on the crankshaft had came loose, so it was off time. So that's all was wrong with it. So I had that bike for a while, and then I traded Then I started road racing. I bought an EX 500, started road racing that, and then once I started road racing, I did a street ride much in Indiana. So I traded that bike for a 01 CR250, and then I had a YZ450F motocross bike before i moved out here then i sold that and then when i got here i bought a vfr 800 and those six and then i also bought a rmz 450 nice so i had those two bikes and the uh the vfr had a lot of miles on it so i was thinking about getting a bike with less miles you know those those old hondas they get to where they have a bad ground and it would burn staters and regular rectifiers like one after another and it just got to be a pain in the butt and i didn't want it track it down or change the wiring harness so i sold that bike sold the rmz and then bought that bmw that 2013 r1200 oh, right. so basically one bike to do everything
0: oh and you got the year right before they went to the water boxer basically
1: no that that is that is the water boxer so oh, the okay. adventures the adventures were the old air-cooled motors but in 13 the uh, standard gs was the liquid, liquid oh, okay cool. okay right right and, and i test and i test rode the uh air-cooled bike And it was okay, but, you know, I'm used to Japanese bikes. And then I jumped on that water boxer with a wet clutch and, you know, one-piece engine and transmission that seems so much like a Japanese bike, you know, just smooth, and I I liked the way it was, so I had to buy one of those.
0: Right. Yeah, those things are bad. And then uh, that's the – no, yeah, I guess that's the first bike I saw pictures of you on laying a knee down and (laughs) I was cracking up. Uh, Do you – Oh you well, obviously you're super into you've you've you started road racing you know a few years back. Sounds like you were maybe into motocross if not dual sporting because it sounds like you had a lot of off-road bikes in the mix there. Were you doing yeah, like, you know,
1: supermoto or or motocross? You know I, I I we did me and my twin brother did some competitive road racing in 2000 2001. I dropped out at half at the end of the year of 2001. I had a pretty bad crash. Didn't get off but it was kind of out of out of the hobby thing i was 31 years old figured i'd grow up and get have a family or whatever but uh, so i had a motocross bike after that and we would do hair scrambles and you know local uh fair races during the summer there in the midwest but nothing too serious and then supermoto was kind of a thing right i would have to say probably in the 2003 2004 so go up to jackson michigan and do some track days you know and i would just run uh, the standard 21 and 19 and use some decent street tires that would work on that bike so yeah
0: yeah that was a good i mean that those years right there were pretty primo for uh for supermoto and super tt and all that great stuff right. um so yeah that i mean that you guys i mean you guys were killing it it sounds like doing all sorts of fun stuff
1: <laughs> well i mean we're just uh very low level club racers at best you know so
0: yeah. And then um hair scrambles and all that stuff. That is like you live in a pretty good area now to do that stuff, to be honest. Like uh up there there's some really good uh off road off road stuff. Right. And just some drive out of the city a couple hours and bam, you're out in the well you I think you can actually drive maybe from I think you can ride all the way through California on some back road uh trail like you might be doing, yeah i've yeah do that all the way down to i've the done Mexico. some of them
1: yeah i've done some of them like through mendocino national forest and uh, oakland motorcycle club does a uh, it's got a sheet iron 300 it's from the central valley over by thunder hill i forget what town it is off the top of my head but it goes to fort bragg it's 150 miles then it goes back over there the next day so it's 300 miles in two days so yeah. i did i did that on the bmw and then uh then i did some track days with uh Superbike coach, Kanakaya, just do just a track day. And then I got interested in his program. So I went ahead and took one of his classes thinking that I probably wouldn't learn much on a go-kart track with that big bike. But I really learned a lot from him. And was impressive was me to see the progression from the people starting that really has no – they really had no business riding a motorcycle. It really that bad, you know. Yeah. And these people lived in the Bay Area. But to see their progression from three days in a class – go from being a very, very bad rider to being very proficient, you know, you know, so I, I kind of partnered with him and then got a super motobike and a 300 Ninja and did some stuff with him at the class. And I still do, I still do, uh, control riding for his track days and stuff like that.
0: Right. And what is the name of that uh, organization?
1: It's superbikecoach.com.
0: Okay. Cause I've seen that on, I've seen you have a couple different, uh, you know i think you had a vest on or something that said that and then i think your bike when your bike has that on
1: it actually i think you yeah were... both both bikes have it on it okay
0: so. yeah And that's awesome i mean that's uh obviously totally giving back to the to the community and probably keeping your skills on point as well because you you still do right. a fair bit of tracking and racing
1: is from what i've seen yeah in two weeks we've got a track day up at thunder hill west so nice. and again he he focuses more towards the people in his class which are street riders right so when, when you come to his track day, we don't care. You know, bring your street bike and ride in your street gear, you know, within reason. I don't no T-shirts or anything, but, you know, wear, wear, your, wear your street gear and uh, we'll let you out on the track. You don't have to do anything to your bikes. You know, we'll check the tires, make sure it's got brake pads and stuff and send you out there and have a good time, you know. So it's kind of those deals. We keep the we keep the racers in the higher group. And if they want to, you know, go out there and make it a race, we'll just refund, them, refund their money and send them to another provider because it's mainly for street riders right don't get me wrong there's fast guys out there but you know a lot of these things when you go to the when you go to these track days the uh, control riders are out there you know they're racers and they're out there racing each other and you know it it becomes a dangerous situation we try to control it you know so
0: and at the same time uh provide a place for other people to learn skills, which is basically the next step into track days or or road riding or whatever. That's, it's pretty awesome.
1: Um, And, and, and again, that the, uh, the classes are taught on a go-kart track with a simple reason. It's, uh, you know, 45 seconds, you're around that go-kart track. So you'll remember which corner you messed up in, where you should be doing it wrong. And then the coach can stop you right on the track, tell you what you're doing and make you redo it, you know? So it works really good as far as that goes.
0: And no get-offs at, like, 120 miles an hour for yeah, like a new plus, guy.
1: Plus the, plus the speeds are really low. I mean, we've had several people crash, but it's made – just pick the bike up, straighten out the shifter, and you're on your way, you know?
0: Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And if if uh, – I'll get the info at the end of the interview, but cool. anybody that wants to come up, I mean, you, you're doing stuff on your Supermoto. You're doing stuff on your uh, – your ninja and your or, or and on your R twelve hundred. I mean, like I said, I've right, seen pictures right. of you dragging knee, giving the peace sign and uh juggling three uh bowling pins at the same time. I mean yeah, you're right. a super talented uh super talented dude. I can tell well, you been riding I don't in a little know
1: while. About that. So if you've ever <laughs> rode on. one of those if you've ever rode one of those bikes, they they make it pretty easy, I mean. <laughs> so. Except for that yeah. they weigh like eight hundred pounds. Six hundred, but five eighty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but also at that class, we teach a wheelie class. And we have a wheelie machine, you know, one of those uh, static dyna, dynamometer type things yeah. with an SV650 on it. And then we've got super motors with wheelie bars on them. So we've got – it's like a three-ring circus going on where we've got the wheelie class going on. And then we also teach a knee-down class, you know, so yeah a lot of things.
0: For the all-important Instagram photo, right, of either you're
1: We also have a professional photographer on staff that takes – thousands of pictures each time and they're all free of charge i mean it's a really good thing
0: yeah that sounds fun if i ever make my way up there i'm gonna definitely have to stop by Uh, for sure yeah that's one thing i've always been terrible at is wheelies i mean you know, I've done them I and I've done a few bad ones when I was, when I was a kid, you know, of course you're, is when you're starting to learn and yeah, I did a couple, uh, back flips, <laughs> but, right, right. but luckily none as an adult, but I mean, I'm still, I'm still so terrible. It's not like I go around wheelieing everywhere, but yeah, that'd be something fun to do just cause, uh, I do miss, that's one of the things I loved about being a kid is just being able to pop a wheelie and, and not worry about it, you know? And uh, nowadays it's like, oh, man, you got to worry about making it to work in the morning. How am I going to be able to to type with a busted arm? So, (laughs) so, but yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, recently I know, well, actually I want to get into – some some of the stuff you did over the summer but let's let's keep it really recent um i know liza uh and everybody was up there at the moto bay classic and and i know you were raced up there i saw some of your footage and it uh man it looked like somebody almost high-sided you there i don't know who that was yeah it was that was my fault but yeah but that looked like a hell of a lot of fun man what was that uh was that a fun event to go to
1: yeah you know the event was so fun in fact that uh I felt bad racing. I wanted to enjoy the party. You know? And yeah. so here's my, my twin brother came up. He lives down in Palmdale. So he came up and his wife was there. And then the neighbors were there and, you know, everything's going on. It's like a three ring circus. So, uh, you know, I didn't know the format went out to the heat race and they took two, two to the main from the heat race. And I had, uh, Gage McAllister, which is the number one supermoto guy in America. Yeah. And then I had, uh, why forgive me? I forget the other guy's name. Uh, Tyler O'Hara
0: so <laughs> right. i mean who's a former you know, road, road racer and like or maybe yeah, he's still current right, actually i don't know
1: yeah he you know he run the uh harley xr 1200 championship yeah. a couple of years ago and he's a big supermoto guy so i was just out to have fun and uh Cameron was the guy in third and I was just messing around trying to get him and I've never done a flat track and so I'm kind of backing it in and then I hooked my front tire on his back tire and almost high side and I'm like oh that wouldn't have been any fun <laughs> so I was doing little wheelies <laughs> around there until a will burn at the end but uh you know I came into the pits so I was like good the race is over now I can party so yeah. I was drinking beer and having a good time then they were like last chance qualifiers and I was like uh-oh I could have been out there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would have made the main, but I probably would have got, you know, I don't want to, you know, the, the, the race was pretty good. I mean, uh, Tyler O'Hara beat out uh, Gage McAllister and Gage McAllister was on that Alta. So it was a really good race and I'm kind of glad I wasn't out there. I would have got, I would have been a backmarker at about lap four. But.
0: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, go down in a blaze of glory and and yeah, enjoy the rest of the shows. So that's my theory too.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. If they if they do it next year, I'll bring the BMW out and do that hooligan oh, versus cops boom. skills competition yeah. and race some supermoto. So I'll take I'll take the day off work the day before. So because I actually got off a fourteen hour ship and drove straight over there, you know. So it was a long day. And, yeah, heck.
0: And then, man, your brother lives kind of in my neck of the woods. I mean, much much closer than uh, uh, Fairfield.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 And he used to be a big supermoto racer, race with Don Cane, Stars and Wars. And he was, he was big in that organization. And then, uh, was it last year or two years ago, he broke his back out in California City. I mean, really bad. He's got an eight vertebrae fusion. And so his racing career is kind of done, you know? Yeah. So,
0: yeah, did he uh, bust it doing some uh, moto event or something out there?
1: No, it was just a desert ride. You know, and he's yeah on a YZ two fifty, the the new two stroke X bike, the cross country bike. Yeah, so he's yeah. out there doing seventy five miles hour pin, and there was a wash. So he just hammered the throttle wheelie across, cross till we hit the other side of the wash. He felt his back give out yeah. and then he collapsed into the crossbar and cartwheeled across the desert oh, at 70 miles, five miles an hour. Yeah. Broken back, couldn't feel his waist down, you know, and did a little self rescue and rode back an hour by himself. So it's pretty, his story is pretty interesting, you know? Dang.
0: I mean, I'll have to go yeah. up. I'll write up and, uh, and, uh, have to talk to him in person, but you know, uh, Paul, my friend, Paul, that has actually loaned me his VFR right now. He, um, he was talking about, he went up to California city one time. It sounds crazy out there. Like just nuts. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't just, I don't know. It just sounds like a half abandoned town and half just motorcycle paradise, you know? So one of these days I yeah, may it make it out there.
1: Pretty good. what I heard. Uh, Wiggins talking about going out to uh, El Mirage. That sounds like a cool event. That'd be yeah,
0: fun. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be him and a bunch of hooligans and he wants me to go, yeah. but that's the same weekend as a distinguished gentleman. So I'm not quite hundred percent sure <laughs> there you go. On, on what's happening yet. So, but, um, but El Mirage is always fun. I've, I've only been up there like one time and I think he might have be too. So, but yeah, fun times out there. And um, yeah, anybody that wants to come down for that, that'd be awesome. Um, now you, this is probably like your ninth podcast. You, it's not hard to get on a moto podcast when you are an avid motorcyclist, right? Like everybody sees you like hucking that GS around and they're like, Hey,
1: <laughs> what's going on? I seen you do. Yeah. You know, good you know, I'm one of those guys. I'm into motorcycles. Yeah. All of them. You know what I mean? I'll do anything all the time. I'm i'm all about being proficient you know low speed stuff high speed stuff it all has its has its purpose you know right so i'm into all of it
0: right and so i think a few podcasts i think you've been on throttled and i've been on throttled i've been on loud pipes when they had that uh, adv shootout Mm -hmm. so and i know you've been at the actual misfits uh
1: I've been down there, but I haven't been on their podcast. So I've oh, been out okay, there and okay. hung out with the guys, but I've never been actually on their podcast. Okay,
0: now this one, and then uh, next. But I was on, I was on Ted's podcast. Yeah, yeah. For, I was going to uh, say motorcycle man, right? Yeah, that motorcycle. Yeah, whatever it was. Well, so I got a couple more. We're going to ship you down the line, so you make this make this whole circuit. Oh, cool. <laughs> Sounds good. So, but. This summer, you were riding for I want to say throttled uh, during I was. motorcycle podcaster challenge, and you pulled off a pretty amazing feat to some people. But the way you described it to me, it was a pretty pretty easy. What the heck yeah. did you do during during like the first week of that challenge?
1: Yeah, so when I first got the GS uh, three years ago, I did a, a, a saddle sore one thousand right and I'd, I'd originally set out to do a, do a butt burner gold but then you have to do a saddle sore before you do a butt burner gold and then i got into a uh hail storm in tahoe and got into a rainstorm so it kind of you know i got i got the the saddle sore 1000 in but i didn't get the butt burner gold so i was always trying to redo it and then you guys were having that podcaster challenge and i was like i'll join one of the teams and just give them some free miles so I went out and did that uh, this year so it was good.
0: And it sounded I mean when I was talking to you you were like you know what it's really not that hard you just kind of got to you know point the bike and go somewhere and and um what does it take i mean are they scrutinize that stuff right because i've had another uh another listener ask and actually way back in episode 78 i was kind of like kind of being facetious about the uh the iron butt in general and then i was like oh, oh no no like somebody told me that you don't You can't, don't make fun of it because it's a, it's a hard thing and they actually do take it pretty serious. And so I was like, Oh, I redid that episode because I started looking into it and I was like, Oh yeah, man, people plan for years to do one of these. And you're like, Hey, I'm just going to go do one for this, uh, (laughs) podcast real
1: quick. Well, that's, that's the way it appears. That's not, I've I've been thinking about this for two years, right? Uh, Okay. Okay. And and actually last year, you know, my parents still live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. My kids came back and uh, I took them out to see my parents and I drove it straight through and it was 2000 miles. I mean, I did drop, stop for 20 minutes here three different times, but I was like, this is definitely doable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as far as fatigue and I'm, I drive the truck all the time. I work 14 hours a day. This isn't a big deal. And plus my work schedule, I go to go into work at 4 PM. I get off at 4 AM. So with that schedule, waking up around noon and taking off i think is advantageous because that way when you're finishing up the ride it's daylight hours right oh yeah so so you get that morning sun coming up which kind of gives you that that kick to, to stay awake more so so that's what I did. And, you know, I'd listen to Carl Reese and, you know, Carl Reese. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. He's he's the so, current record holder, right, for uh, more right, 30, 39
1: America. hours across America. So I heard his deal and I heard him talk about the catheter. And I was like, that's a good idea. Well, I got some of those condom catheters and it didn't work for me. <laughs> I oh, no? tell you, Did you so, did
0: you, t- did you pee your pants a couple of times or just not? Pretty
1: much. It blew up. Oh, damn. I
0: had a mess. But luckily, I was oh, in dude. Reno. And it was one
1: hundred and six degrees. It so dried off. Know, the moisture break. didn't stick around. (laughs) but you know and then i also noticed you know i've got a 5.3 gallon tank and i was running it really quick and that bmw that really close to the edge and that bmw's got a trip computer tells you how many miles it gives you countdown right? okay okay and going across nevada at 90 at 85 miles an hour you know speed limit's 80 people are running 88 or whatever and that bmw's running it's running about fifty five hundred RPMs. It's not, you know, it's not really geared for those speeds, but it's doing okay. But but the uh, mileage drops from forty miles a gallon down to about thirty. So you lose range. Oh yeah. So now you got to, to pick up extra fuel. I don't think it's advantageous. I mean, if I were to do it again, I would just stick on this. I would set the cruise at the speed limit. Yeah. Just deal with it.
0: Somebody, I think his name was Matthew. He's the guy that originally asked me about the iron butt stuff and made me look into it. And he was saying that a lot of people only do 50 miles an hour because of course, on the East Coast, some of the speed limits are super low and and it's still doable. So he said, you know, you only have to average 45 or 50 as long as you don't stop for too long and have your route planned out and this and that. And I'm not 100% sure of how you do it, but do you, you have to get some sort of documentation and like fuel receipts to show that you didn't just drive a loop for you know 100 hours doing the same 20 mile loop or whatever right you got to get a and, make sure that you and, have a and, and, traceable
1: and you can do a loop people do uh, saddle Store 1000s and, and uh, butt burner golds in, in in Manhattan through the boroughs I mean okay. people do this but it, you just have to have constant fuel receipts it has to match up it has to make sense and if you're doing like what I did I went over to window or yeah. So I went over to, uh, not went I went into Wyoming, the first town in uh, Evanston, Wyoming. So that's where I turned around and came back. It was 763 miles or something. Okay. So I definitely needed that fuel receipt. That was the important one. Yeah. So the, the start and the end and that turn is the important ones.
0: Yeah. Sweet. Well that, I mean, that's pretty cool. I, I, Having heard that you can do it at, at a low speed, as long as you're, consi- you know, you don't stop for four hours mm-hmm. for breakfast and to take a nap or something like that, it sounds like it's pretty doable. Um, I'm going to do one on Spamla, I think, next year and see if I can. Yeah, I mean, just my, that's pretty my, cool. My, my ass just has to hold up for a thousand miles.
1: You know, plus I was doing that podcasting challenge, so I was stopping to get pictures and towns right, right. and all this stuff, and then I actually stopped for an extended restroom break to uh, change. You know, I, I checked. I checked the weather, and what I could see is 106 is about the high, and the low of about 55. Well, there's parts of Nevada where the actual low temperature was 34. Yeah, Nevada. The right? deserts so, get cold. Actually, ironically. so I really didn't count on that. So and yeah. then I lost my uh, jacket liner controller, so I was uh, having to plug it in hot. So I actually stopped and put on a some underwear and stuff like that. So I had extended uh, fuel stop and. It, I still made it in 20 hours. So yeah. I mean, I you don't have to kill yourself. Yeah,
0: you just got to keep going. Like just Yeah, you just got to keep gotta consistent. Keep yeah. Just keep moving.
1: That's nice. And I, and I stopped and I stopped and took a 20 minute rest, you know, I laid down on a in a rest area, just laid down on the asphalt. I had a, a uh road crafter uh what do you call those suits? But anyways. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They you know, use that as your pillow and Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean I mean, those suits are like a like you're wearing a sleeping bag already, you know. So yeah, yeah, that's rad. So that I mean, haven't had you do
0: that, and then also I mean that obviously you you were one of the highest mileage guys I don't remember if you ended up being the highest, highest mileage because a lot of people were like actually that. headed toward it was so funny people were moving across country during that thing too and like ended up driving yeah. to like Oklahoma and stuff it's like what the hell
1: this was yeah somebody somebody had like 2200 miles yeah, to like.
0: yeah This this year was crazy like last year it was way different this year people went off the yeah. rails so yeah because my, my
1: high was uh 1963 or something like yeah.
0: that which is like you know would have been like top for the year last year and this year it was like oh that was just like second. <laughs> what but yeah that was a that was a fun challenge are you gonna do it again next year
1: yeah maybe i can get on your team if you need yeah. some help i can actually be on the podcast team i think if you do it as a listener so
0: yeah man it's uh it's crazy and i i you know it was so it was so much fun and and this year was the most controversial year with all the like people b- bending and changing right. the rules wanting to know <laughs> right, what the right. real rules were and it's like kind of a lot, lot more complicated adding a couple teams but it was still fun and it was still cool and that was sure. and i thought it was pretty cool to see you do a actually somebody trying for a, uh, a saddle sore cuz i don't think anybody i think everybody else was just traveling i don't think they were doing it uh for a goal you know so it was kind of cool right. that you're like knocked out <laughs> two birds with one stone um yeah so i i do want to ask you too um as far as like uh rider coach and stuff like that goes when did you start that and what does it take to be a rider coach if anybody's interested in that
1: Yeah. So let me clarify. I'm not technically a writer's coach. So, So what I do is I assist Ken Akai, which is the coach. So I assist him as far as in the wheelie class, you know, keeping people, keeping their understanding about how torque curves work on motorcycles, what, you know, you want to be in torque and not power. Uh, you want to do this with a break? You, and I just, I just repeat what he teaches the people, you know? So that's my role in the wheelie class, in the knee down class. I do the demos with the BMW GS just to show that, Hey, it's not the bike. It's you. Yeah. And if you want to, the keys are in the 600 pound beast. You can take it out and see what you think about it. But (laughs) you know, so that's, that's my role as far as super bike coach goes. And then at the track days, I'm at a, I'm a control rider. So
0: yeah that's my main thing. I think we've had a past guest, uh, on the, she, her name's Amber. She was a control writer for, uh, a company back East. And yeah, she was trying to tell oh, cool. me the same sort of thing. She's like, I kind of get free track time by doing it, but I'm not a coach, you know, like right. they, they still have the coach, but I do get, uh, basically kind of free track day and, and also get a mentor, a bunch of people, how to do the right thing and, and help them get into it. Cause it kind of can be an intimidating thing if you, you know you want to do your first track day i remember your first time anything your first time going out on the freeway can be crazy so i'm sure like your first track day can be a little bit hairy and intimidating and it's kind of cool to have people there to kind of just show you the ropes you know not have not have the coach yell at you but have one of the one of you guys like pointed out first before you get busted right or something like that
1: for sure and again uh when i'm a a control rider, I'm kind of the law enforcement agency out there. Right. So if I'm in a group, I might come up on a slow rider and might sit there and watch him and watch how everybody reacts to the slow rider. Oh, there you go. Right. So that's kind of my job. My job's not out there to be the fastest guy out there. There's no point. My job's to, to make sure everybody's doing the right things. And Hey, if you have a tight pass or you bump into somebody, I'm going to pull you off the track and I'm not going to yell at you. I'm going to say, Hey, you messed up. Next time when you come up on a slower ride, instead of making a risky pass, why don't you go down the hot pit lane, go through the hot pit lane, that guy gets away from you, and now you got an open track. So, yeah. And then then we have a little program on on your car, on your sticker, you know, write, a, write one X, you know, three X's and you're done for the day. But, you know, so we, we try to be lenient, but at the same time try to be responsible. And then we also, if we see a guy, you know, a guy getting lapped that's holding his line or a guy that's doing the right thing, we'll reward them with, some freebies of whatever we have you know so we kind of try to be good and you know we have a job to do and try to keep everybody safe but you know i understand and again i'm a racer so i understand when you when you when you're pat closed on somebody into a corner man you don't know what's going to happen you know what i mean you just gotta do it right sometimes you see the red mist yeah (laughs) and i understand that deal but it's a track day it's this isn't this isn't racing and this isn't the this isn't a practice right so this yeah. is track day
0: yeah nobody so. nobody gets a trophy for, uh, for winning the track
1: day yeah i mean yeah. it's it's terrible when you see a guy come out there and it happens almost every time somebody wads up you know a twenty six thousand dollar motorcycle oh, that man. they rode from san francisco there right and you and you've seen it happening and you pull them in and you're like hey you might want to Slow it down a little bit, you know, yeah. just for your sake and everybody else's. Let's slow it down. And then you see them the last, it's the last session usually. Here, watch this, and there it goes, you know? Yeah. So it's unfortunate, but it happens.
0: Yeah. Not, 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 uh, you never, you never should say this is going to be my last uh, or my fastest, right. last. you know, the last one's always the one where everyone gets thrashed. So, man, that's right. Um, <laughs> that I could, I don't know, I would be, I would just not know what to do if I wadded up my a lot, especially like a fresh new bike that you're just taking out, you know, you want to take it to the track for the first time or something and you feel comfy and, uh,
1: trailer home. <laughs> right. Know? And you know, you know, and when I, when, after you've crashed your bike and I come out, you're not getting any sympathy from me because I'm going to say, are you okay? Yeah. Okay. Walk to the, walk to the, and I'm going to pick your crap up and shove it to the side of the track. Yeah. We got to keep track going. <laughs> you know, I, I understand that happened, but we got to clear the track, but, what was cool at the last track day, we didn't have one red flag, which was really good. So we ran all day clean, no delays. It was really good.
0: Rad. That's got, got, got I, to feel good too, as a coach or as a, and even like a uh, control rider to think like yeah, I did my job and, you know, everybody had a good day.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever been to any track day or any race or any practice or anything at all where there hasn't been delays because of crashes. You know, Yeah. so it was a real. It was really good.
0: Yeah, I know. Even at the dumb stuff like when. Wiggins was out at Willow Springs just for a track day. There was, oh, yeah. I don't know if it was cold tires or what it was, but people just w- wad it or or fatigue, you know, because it was getting warm and it had been a long day. But yeah, e- eventually somebody went down. Like every time I've been out there, somebody eventually goes down. So it's uh, that's good to have a good good one.
1: Yeah, that's a super fast track, the big one, the Willow Springs. I have my VFR out there. He yeah, was fast.
0: Yeah. So hey, I got a couple crazy questions for sure. you real quick. So. First off, before any races and stuff, you know that Olympic sprinter that was like viral for a while, that chick, um, I think her name is Michelle Janicki that like jumps around and does that little like finger wiggle thing. Do you have any crazy, before you do your track day, do you have any crazy like superstitious things or like routine things that you go through and and do um, like any physical little things that you do that kind of has to, you have to do to get you into the zone?
1: no dude i'm a 48 year old <laughs> somewhat out of shape truck driver i mean i don't have time for all that i can barely have enough time to turn on my camera if i'm ever going to record <laughs> right. i usually go going to turn one and be like my camera's not even on i gotta reach up with my right hand and turn it on yeah i don't think it's going to get turned on this race so yeah
0: so yeah no no left glove right glove tap your helmet three times none of that stuff huh no okay well then I'm going to scratch the next three questions off any, uh, <laughs> any crazy crashes, like what's your craziest or if any, what's, uh, what's the craziest one you ever
1: had? You know, I had one back in 2001 on that EX500 up at Gingerman and it was, a uh, you know, I changed throttle cables and, throttle cable, it was a push-pull throttle cable, so one of the cables came off, and I had no throttle, so I pulled into the hot pit lane, and I had quick release release on the fuel tank, so I pulled the tank up, reached my hand down there, put the cable on, finger-tighted it, good, went out there, got behind the guy, this was during practice, got behind the guy that was the fastest in our class. He was on an FZR400, but uh, went into turn three right behind him, and as I'm, as I'm braking, I pass him because the throttle's spin wide oh. open, you know, and and it's a crazy feeling. I mean, the kill switch is right there, right? But the front end's still up because it's under power and you're grabbing the front brake and you just blow past your braking marker. And there's the gravel trap in front of you. It's kind of a helpless feeling. I just grabbed the front brake and the front end tucked. And I dove off the side. That was about at 110 miles an hour, right top of six gear. Yeah. So, you know, cartwheeled, then I got my leg ran over by the guy on the FZR 400, then the bike cartwheeled through the gravel, and long story short, the bike had hydro so by the time I would gotten back from Walmart with epoxy and screws to fix the water pump cover, uh, the engine was hydrolocked. so I hit the starter, and it wouldn't start, so I jump-started it, and of course, that squished the, uh, the rod bearing, and so I went out there with a spun rod bearing on a bike making 56 horsepower with a spun rod. It doesn't make much horsepower, you know, yeah. so... That was my last race, and I didn't get hurt, but I was like, "Yeah, oh, that could have been really bad," you know.
0: Yeah, man, sucky, sucky uh, circumstances,
1: and but yeah, uh, I've I've gotten pretty lucky on crashes, you know. Yeah,
0: even in yeah. the BMX days, any crazy BMX crashes.
1: Oh, you know I was riding we had a home track there in Huntington, Indiana, and it was our first home track all of our buddies from Northern Indiana and Michigan to be there and uh me and my brother was riding to the donut shop in the morning on our b m x bikes and there was a uh, some uh railroad ties or telephone poles that were cut down, and I used to bunny hop them on my mo- my bicycle and uh I did it this time, and I hit my front wheel on the second one i did a face plant into the gravel, and you know I ripped you know. I ripped a big chunk out of my forehead, ripped down the side of my face. And I'm, I'm there with my twin brother. You know, you don't want to cry in front of him. So I got up and knocked the wind out of me. I said, wow, that sucks. And he goes, your face is ripped off. Your entire face is ripped off. So oh, That was a pretty funny one. I mean, uh, I just got a bunch of stitches and some road rash, but yeah. that was one. And
0: you still look exactly like him, so
1: uh no we still look different when we were we were in the air Force together, so they couldn't figure out who was who, so they called me scarface so
0: <laughs> right. yeah pretty oh, funny shit yeah that's um crashing's never fun, but I know everybody's had at least at least one and and uh, yeah I'm lucky glad you didn't you know wasn't like a career end or anything like that it's pretty crazy um i'm I'm not to uh go back to your brother's crash but i mean even even if he were the truck driver sitting in a truck after wrecking your back i mean that that would even be a hard job you know what i'm saying like it's got to have yeah long lasting effects on whatever he's uh doing so yeah
1: he's an aircraft mechanic works up at uh uh northrop up in palmdale so yeah. i mean he talks about sometimes he has to get inside of a fuel cell which is in the wing of an airplane so you know how small those are so yeah yeah, he says it sucks. So yeah, man. L- luckily, he doesn't do a lot of that anymore. And but he's had a, he's he was always more aggressive when it came to racing. Always from when we were kids. So he's had some pretty gnarly crashes. A lot of broken bones, collapsed lungs, those kind of things. You know.
0: Dang. What was your mom thinking this whole time? <laughs> like, oh, that's why you boys never got
1: motorcycles when you were kids. kid. Yeah. I mean, my mom is one of those, well, when it's your time, it's your time, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of her thought on the deal. So, yeah.
0: Unluckily, it hasn't been. So, as you say, see, mom, like, we we could take all these and still keep going. Right. Um, who's your favorite pro racer, past or present?
1: Hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. I kind of liked Aaron Yates. I liked the feistiness of him back in the day. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, uh, obviously, I like Nicky Hayden. One of my first races, he was on a 125, and I was on the EX500. It's cool to see him going past me twice my speed, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I'm not really a fanboy of anybody. I like racing. I like, you know, I like guys that are good, you know? So, yeah.
0: I know. I'm, I'm the same way. I, I, I don't even, people ask me, what's your favorite music? Well, I don't have a favorite. I, I like a lot of stuff. I like, like you, kind of like the good ones and uh, even some of the bad ones. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. I like 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 Matt 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 Malad was kind of not the nicest guy people thought, but I mean, I heard an interview with him, and he's like, "It's not that I did or didn't like those guys. Those guys are trying to take money out of my pocket, trying to take food out of my family's mouth. I'm not their friends, you know what I mean?" So I was like, "Yeah, "Yeah, good point. Yeah, Yeah, don't don't get friendly with them. Then you are going to cut cut them some slack, and you get paid to win races, not have friends."
0: Yeah, I know he had a bad rap, and I always liked. Matt Malad I liked his writing style and, and I thought he was pretty good. Him and Jamie, uh, Hackney or yeah, Jamie, Jamie hacking. hacking, Jamie Hackney. That's a, uh, not a real guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are your favorite, uh, or, you know, do you have, do you have any favorite graphics from a motorcycle, like a graphics kit or any bikes that came out in the past that you're like, damn, you remember them just based on the way they look?
1: Yeah, you know I always like the Hondas. I like the uh, Ricky Carmichael HRCs with the Woody Woodpecker. I've got some shroud graphics for my uh, current uh, 2010 CRF450. I like those those throttle jockey ones. Uh, yeah, yeah. I always I liked uh, Colin Edwards's uh, World Superbike VFR RC45. That Castro Honda that was cool looking. I mean, a lot of them are all cool, you know. So
0: yeah, I don't remember that one, but uh, was it red and white?
1: No, it was was red, white, and green. Green was the predominant color. So it was green on top, the base was white, and then it was green and red. They they actually made replica bikes. I think
0: I remember Yeah, I think I remember that. Mm -hmm. I think I remember that. And then uh, what is your favorite – do you have a favorite motorcycle meme? I can't even think of any off the top of my head, but it's a question I wrote down, so I'm going to ask it.
1: A motorcycle meme, I'm not (sighs) – I guess I'm I'm too old to know what memes are. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, plus there's too many memes out in this world for me to... I think I wrote I, this about 20 years ago when memes were brand new.
1: <laughs> I do remember a couple motorcycle commercials that always stuck with me. I remember when the, the BMW K1600, and even though I own a BMW, I'm not a BMW fan. It's, I don't fit into their demographic. But anyways, I remember the BMW K1600 first came out. There's a guy, and he's got a... Woman on the back, his wife, obviously. And he's talking about after all these years, she's still hanging on. He's dragging foot pegs through corners, and his wife's holding on. You know, it's kind of a cool commercial. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess if that's a meme.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then and those bikes actually too. I don't know how many people have dragged those through corners, but um, they're actually pretty. I mean, they're pretty capable for a, a big old hunkin
1: water water motor. Yeah, I mean, I keep looking at my next bike and. I look at it then i I'm like those those bikes are cool hundred and sixty horse in line six, blah blah, then I go and look at it and go look at the big goofy handlebars, and I'm like, I'm not ready for that yet, you know,
0: yeah, one yeah. day, but not now it It's funny 'cause right- the first year they came out, uh I had contact with the dealer down in San Diego, and somebody had dropped one, maybe came out and uh got spooked by the way a car was driving and kind of laid it over, trying to avoid the car, mismaneuvered somehow to avoid the car and ended up laying it down on his own. And it just hit the footboard and kind of spun around. And that, just that laying it over, he said nothing. He said like the uh, little scratch on the um, saddlebags and the bar end, but the fact that the side of the case touched totaled it. And those things that's were like ridiculous. thirty thousand bucks. Oh yeah, yeah. And the reason is is because that motor is exposed out on the sides, and yeah. to remove it, I mean, you know how much stuff you got. You got to take all that cowling sure. and take it. So he said, "Yeah, just just all the labor and stuff to do that totaled it." So I was like, <laughs> "God, crazy." So don't follow her if you own one of those. Um, yeah, you want to do some really stupid questions? I have a couple of those too. Sure. Which favorite song? Wow, that's a tough one. Man, How about Johnny a, Johnny Paycheck? Take this job and shove it.
1: Yeah. I'm not I'm not much into country <laughs> western, but
0: Okay. Uh, your favorite type of
1: sandwich. <sighs> Man, that's weird. Uh <laughs> yeah. It's tough. Uh maybe a tuna sub from Subway. I don't know. Sweet. Probably the most popular one. Yeah, your favorite month. Oh. I'd say July. I like summer, but
0: is that when your birthday is? No, my
1: birthday is in April.
0: Oh, okay. Your favorite uh, sweater?
1: Wow, uh, Detroit Red Wings. Nice practice sweater. Yeah, okay. I used to play hockey. I was a big hockey player up in Michigan. So
0: right. Okay. Yeah, and that's a good. Uh, I mean, Michigan and Indiana. I think they uh, support that. You know, in, in California, there's not much ice ice around for that.
1: Uh, oh, there's a uh, hockey. Play yeah. hockey right here in Vacaville, but yeah, no, it's
0: indoor. You know, you can't just go out in the wintertime oh, time and beat a puck around with your friends.
1: Right for sure.
0: Um, your favorite relative?
1: Yeah, I mean, probably my twin brother. It's, I was going to say a clone, he, right? He, he's so.
0: not listening. You could say anybody, but yeah, that. i, yeah, I, I, I mean, me that and maybe. him
1: get together and talk for hours about nothing, motorcycle yeah. crap, obviously. But
0: <laughs> uh, y- uh, your favorite actress or the best actress in your opinion?
1: Wow, that's a really difficult one.
0: Yeah, these are all on the spot too. We didn't we didn't rehearse any of this. I might actually yeah. edit some of this out if it, if it that's doesn't. That's tough. I sh-
1: I should have one, shouldn't I? Well, I don't. sure.
0: All right, I can't think of one off the top of my head. How about uh, Phoebe Cates or Jennifer Connelly?
1: Yeah, I, I've I've heard the people. I can't quite picture them. I'm I'm not much of a movie person to be completely honest. With you. Oh man!
0: Well, driving a truck I mean, 14 movies. hours a day. Yeah, driving a truck 14 hours a day. You probably don't have much time to watch movies. I just,
1: I just listen to podcasts. There you go. Feel, so.
0: Yeah, man, you're the perfect um, – I mean, God, if there's any other candidate that I can think of, you're
1: you're the perfect one for podcasts. Um, yeah, I, I, listen, I listen to all you guys' motorcycle podcasts. Yeah. The guys that get wrong answers, I scream at the radio, you have a microphone in front of you. You should know the answer. There's a computer. There should be a computer right there in front of you.
0: Yeah. You know what? Before I ask you this last question, let's uh, talk about that because Wiggins is always like, "Hey, we should like." I feel bad because I don't know this, and I was like, "Buddy, that's kind of the funny part of it. Like, as long as you roll with it and you sound confident, <laughs> uh, Dude, people I, are going to be screaming at you,
1: and it's just." Gonna- I'll tell you, tell you, you guys are one of the best. I mean, I mean, without out a doubt, not being biased, hands down two enthusiasts, I mean, well, of course. Of course they are the best yeah, as far good. as knowing stats, and I mean, the one guy worked for, you know, motorcycle companies and works, you know, and the other guy's a, a lawyer, and I mean, they're good, and then, of course, you got uh, Emma's which is ridiculous, but yeah, they're not insane. Those, yeah, other than those three, you guys are the best. So yeah, you want to hear? Job.
0: You want to hear something crazy? And I'm a little bit ashamed of. And Wiggins, the reason that I tell Wiggins to shut up and don't talk about that is that we both work with motorcycles. <laughs> he works at uh, a company, Vance yeah, Ranson right? Hines. They make oh, sh- he I should, makes I should all have, sorts I of have stuff. said that. Oh, it's Probably okay. That, huh? No, okay. it's fine. He's he's. He's pumped him before, but I work.
1: Yeah, and I've ne- I've never figured out what you do. I kind of think I know what I kind of think I know what you do, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I literally look at motorcycle stats all day Stimatics long and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't remember. I never, you know, it doesn't behoove me to remember all that stuff. It's written there down sure. on paper for me to look at later. So, right, uh, right. but I always, they were playing on the misfits this week. They were playing like the displacement game. And at least I knew a, a, most of those because I'm like, Oh, well, right. like, you know, I look at this stuff all day. I should, I should commit these to memory. But when you see every single motorcycle made, you don't you I don't I don't want to waste my brain my precious what little brain power I have on that. <laughs> so right. I have to think of stupid questions, you know what I mean? Like like this list right here. So my last question, my last dumb question for you is what name would you have chosen for yourself? Your parents chose Brian cuz they thought it was uh you know, becoming. What would you have uh, called yourself?
1: That's 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 a weird thing. That's a real weird question. I've never thought about it. I guess when I was six years old, there was a guy across the street that his name was Dick. And I guess Dick wasn't a slang for a male appendage, but I thought Dick was cool. (laughs) So I I don't think Dick would be cool now, but I I never really thought about it. Yeah, you know, I know Dick back in the day was
0: pretty cool. I mean, Dick Man, obviously, there was a lot of dicks that raced. But yeah, nowadays, I remember
1: I remember when I was racing BMX. All the Southern California guys. There was a guy named Jeff G E O F F, and I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, yeah, there's maybe that would be one.
0: I love. I don't love that spelling cuz I always wanted to just say Gee off but I know that if I say yeah, that they're going p- right. to punch me in the face cuz I actually know oh, yeah. I know a Jeff that spells his name that way but right, uh, right. yeah Dick Dick or Jeff that's a those are cool names um my my friend my neighbor wanted to call himself Tobler and I thought that was kind of a weird
1: Wow name. that's crazy that's <laughs> Yeah, crazy
0: Tobler so, <laughs> Yeah man so hey anything um, anything else motorcycle related or not that you uh, you want to yak about here while we got you on the line
1: man i i don't have anything much i mean this this is this is my passion is motorcycling all of it you know yeah i mean there's certain things i don't like but hey actually you know there is something i want to talk about here's something i would like to say that's crazy you know harley's big announcement with this you know modern motorcycles Mm -hmm. it's great however it's not like they haven't tried this and they continue to try this and continue to try this And their customers and their dealers shut them down every time. I mean, I I, I wish it would work. I mean, trust me, I was a huge fan of the Buell. I mean, the Buell Ulysses was a great motorcycle. All the Buells were great motorcycles, and they were innovative. And, I mean, they had the Harley backbone, you know. Mm -hmm. They had the motor. And then they came out the street 750 and 500, and they just run that bike down, and they're like, I wish Harley would come out with a competitively priced bike. Well, there it is, but you won't buy it. You won't. You actually won't even acknowledge that it exists. But here it is, you know. So I hate to say it's not going to work, but man, they've they've been they've been doing this. This is this is something that this is a broken record. They continue to do this and continue to do this, and people are like, well, at least they're trying. No, I mean they've been trying. I I just don't think unless they have different dealers, different dealer networks to to push this stuff, it's going to work. I. I mean I don't want to be a skeptic, but I mean man, they kill they killed the the Buell. I mean, I understand it doesn't have the Harley nameplate, but come on.
0: I yeah. mean I, and I think that was the downfall of the Buell. Um honestly Buell came in as uh, the story of Buell is crazy, and I think we might have mentioned it um, maybe when I did the history of Harley way back in the day. Um, before Wiggins was on the show, actually, uh, you know, that whole Harley Indian thing went down to the Peterson. Yeah, and I went right. and I was researching that. It took me a couple of weeks to research it. And I came across the Buell story, which in and itself could have been a whole side episode because he was sure. like smuggled onto a ship to talk with some Harley executives. He was a racer. He had been making motorcycles. It worked for him. Yeah. And he had been racing. He had been building motorcycles on, on his own, on the side already, um, with some other brand. I forget that it's like a Chinese brand or something. And then he's like, Hey, here's Harley motors, you know, and he comes right. on and he does this whole thing. And I think it was the fact that it didn't say Harley Davidson. I think you're kind of right. The VR 1000, even some people are, uh, more down with that bike than a dual.
1: You know what I'm saying? Do you remember, do you remember that, uh, when I hear the VR 1000, I just think about do you remember that Daytona 200 where they were leading the race? Pascal Picot was riding the bike. They were leading the race. They were winning the race. And uh, they stripped the axle. And you, I just I just can – every time I think of that motorcycle, I just think of the guy with the in, impact just stripping out the axle yeah. over and over again. you're just like oh. – it's yeah. kind of like Danny Eslick when he when – he, uh, the fairing came off the 1125 and – the Harley guy jumps out with a roll of duct tape and just starts strapping duct tape on it. <laughs> like, come <laughs> yeah. on, dude! That fairing holds the radiator. The radiator bolted to the fairing. Right. I mean, this, this is not going to work. Yeah. But I just remember. Stuff like that, and again, everybody can make dumb mistakes, but it just seems like synonymous with that.
0: But- yeah, you know what's funny is a uh, Dave from Cerberus, formerly Cerberus Motor. I was just down there talking to him a couple of weeks ago, and the number one complaint that he had, and actually on their on their old Facebook page, you could see uh, there was like twenty pictures of Harley axles. And uh, all of them were either oh, lock, locked.
1: That's what you were saying. Yeah, either the axles. Sh- shoving a man with power. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, that's clamping
0: onto him with um, those, uh, you know, like channel locks instead of the the proper tool. Like he said so many Harley guys just, you know, the axles are apparently a big problem with Harley Davidsons. Uh, I've had more than one person. Um, mentioned to me their, either their axle nut or the actual axle or the bearings like all that that rear wheel uh, drive system seems to be a problematic but I am excited I agree with you, they totally killed, I mean they already had some stuff I mean the topper went away and the Aramaki stuff went away just because I think that uh, was right. that time in, in the economy then, it didn't support it and the market wasn't right then and they were changing back then <coughs> excuse me they were changing yep. back then as well But nowadays, uh, I mean, you, they got to, they have to, and and people wax nostalgic about certain bikes that were total hunks of crap back in the day, you know what I'm saying? And nowadays they're going for like 10 grand and I don't know the sportster. A lot of people hated the sportster when it came out, but it's been around for 50 years now and some people love it. Some people still hate it. So it's just like they, I don't even know if they're splintered within their own, um, demographic and I I definitely see the need though. I mean, they, they totally need, I hope, I hope you're right. And and it is kind of a broken record, but I hope you're right. I hope they succeed. And this is an exciting thing to see, you know, and even, even some of the Harley dealers I've talked to are excited about it. And I think it is partially because it says Harley on it and not Buell or not, you know, Aramaki or something else. So we'll, yeah. we'll see, man.
1: Yeah. You, you know, maybe that's a selling point to people, but, you know i could care less who the manufacturer is you know i i really don't care but i mean i do have bias you know when i think of ktms i think of that rotax motor is good but there's some reliability issues with it so i mean but again i know more than well i think i know more than most people that the, your your average buyer that just buy thing based on names so yeah again yeah. A, a name doesn't affect me i could care less
0: yeah i think yeah what what a That having said that, I mean if if a name meant anything, Honda would be, you know, Honda sells so much worldwide and it's almost just because they are so plentiful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and again and again, you you hear those editors, test editors, and you hear people. Yeah, the Honda's a great bike, but, man, it's so boring. It's yeah. boring because it's predictable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does what it does. That's yeah. what it does.
0: I think that's why the CBR1000 that Isle of Man made such a big headline is because finally Honda put out something with the faulty gearbox. And, like, that's all everybody could talk about for, you know, John uh, John McGinnis and – John McGinnis. Yeah, yeah him and um, the, the talking Wolverine, Guy Martin. Uh,
1: yeah, but again – the R1 has had recalled for gearbox issues. The K- the ZX10, you yeah. Know? I mean, it all happens. It's just because but- it's
0: Honda. It was uh, all of a right. sudden they're oh my god. Gotcha. But you know, you don't see people running around with Honda tattoos and Honda bat, you know, bandanas and stuff. I mean, Harley is definitely a brand, and uh, they got that brand thing down. And but then we'll see if they if they can keep that going and translate that into sales of the new stuff. Just because kind of what you said, people, people love to hate, uh, even if it's within their own (laughs) demographic or whatever, that, uh, the change, you know, I think people were pissed about the Dyna going away,
1: but, um, Uh, it's just, it's just strange to me. You know, I mean, I drive a truck, I've got code, 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 uh, drivers at work, you know, Fifty-year-old men, what kind of mic, bike do you think I have? I know what you have. You have a Street Glide. <laughs> That's yeah. what you have. I can tell you. You know what I mean? It's not. You're not cutting edge. You're not interesting. You know what I mean? Go go get the go look at the new Moto Guzzi. Well, nobody's ever heard of that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> have that. <laughs> right. Show up on that thing on that flying fortress. Now you have something.
0: Yeah, it's funny it's too. Interesting. It's funny too when you have a twin. Like Harley dudes seem to be okay with it. If it's a Triumph. If it's a I don't know how they are about the metric, like the Japanese metric twins, but it, it, it seems to stem back to like World War II. Like if you're a British twin, you're cool, but if you're a Japanese twin, you're not cool. Yeah, I and- think
1: I, I think it's kind of like you know the B seventeen big cylinders push rods. That's what when I when I look at when I look at a Harley, that's what I see. I see a chopped off radial B seventeen motor. That's yeah. basically what it is. I think maybe it goes to that it's kind of something that's familiar that's tough mean like a B17 engine i don't know
0: yeah so well that's what i always thought is when the when the baby boomers finally do quit buying you know they're going to need somebody a new generation. And this is, we're at a turning point right now. We're kind of at that point. I i, I feel, I'm wondering if this is how people during the um industrial revolution felt like you can kind of, you can still see and you're still using some of this old stuff and you've been hearing about this new stuff that's going to be coming out, but we're kind of right in the between. Right. right. And i right. Oh, yeah, go and ahead. And again,
1: again, me and you, we know what the future is. Everybody. I mean, if anybody had, some knowledge they would know what the future is it's coming it's here and if you've rode an electric motorcycle you know what i'm talking about that whole business of converting gasoline to this shaking vibrating thing to make power is just ridiculous it's like it's it just once you ride an electric bike you're like this is nonsense you know i mean this is how <laughs> this is how it's going to be I yeah mean, it is they're, fun they're, they're going to figure it out and it's going that's i mean that's the future yeah
0: um, and it is fun and and i still do like old crappy steam engines and i, I mean I, sure. I like stuff just because from the mechanical aspect of it but yeah when you're and i'm just gonna say in like 15 years when everything is silent pretty much silent you know not much louder than a blender and then you hear the coming through your town you're gonna be like oh that guy you know like that it, a- asshole on the last it, uh ice bike
1: <laughs> it might be a nostalgia thing but you know i grew up uh building muscle cars building chrysler muscle cars in fact 70 Super Bs with 383s and a Road Runner with a 318, and uh, sometimes I think nostalgically about those cars, and then I drive or ride in one of those cars. Just the smell of the car sounds seems like work. Seems like something's yeah. gonna break. <laughs> a U joint's gonna break. You're gonna break a pinion off. Something bad stops happening. You're about ready to be walking and doing some work.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean,
1: mean I, I think I think the people that didn't grow up with the stuff having a certain nostalgia about it, you know.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. You always think everything is cooler. Like I. I remember back watching the A Team and Nighthawk as a kid, and Grizzly Adams, and then I'm I watch them like you see a rerun on some weird like deep cable channel, and you're like, oh, this really wasn't as cool as I remember it being, you know. Like once you get oh, into the yeah. actual thing of it, it's you're like you're saying about the cars, it's Ew. like I gotta adjust valves and like shit, this carburetor never ran well, or or it's like a you know three carbs, you know, and you're like, oh, sinking these <laughs> things, yeah, that stuff not fun, but um, yeah, the future I'm and I'm not totally you know i don't know how they're going to work everything out it's it's there's always going to be some good and bad about how we get the power and the resources and this and that but from what i've seen and what i've been reading about from other countries is that especially china which is like on the rise right now in a weird sort of way is like all about electric and gigafactories they're not even gigafactories like gigacities um I mean, and going all they're going, their initiative is to go all electric. electric. I know. Yeah. And yeah, they're,
1: uh, they're banning ice engines completely. I yeah. mean, so
0: I'm thinking that, you know, and I've been reading a lot about the different companies that are starting over there that they don't have a hell of a lot of range, but then again, I don't think most Chinese people commute miles and miles and miles. They have those huge cities. I mean, they're commuting around the city on little scooters now, and they're just going to be doing it on gas, bicycles, right. arena, electric bicycles and motorcycles and scooters mostly. And to, support- I mean, most
1: most most people, uh, an electric motorcycle would work perfect. For I, I, drive 15 miles to work and back. Yeah, right. Drive 15 miles working back plug the thing in. I'd never have to buy fuel again. I almost don't have any maintenance. I mean, brakes and tires. I don't know. Maybe a maybe a motor in years. Maybe some batteries. Who knows? But I mean, you don't have the constant maintenance. You don't have the constant costs.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what I'm going to look forward to. Because I, I swore the next bike I got would be electric. It wasn't. But then, you know, maybe in a couple bikes, it will be. <laughs> It'll have to
1: be. And, you know, and as far as that nonsense, loud pipes save lives, that's ridiculous. Because every time I see it, I get behind a guy in a Harley, like, rev-bombing people. The, the guys in the cars look in their mirror, look in their left. They're in the number two lane. They look in their left mirror. And they instinctually turn left when you turn your head look in a left mirror you turn left right yeah I, I don't want i don't want the guys in cars on split lanes to even know i'm there i'll, I'll wait until i got a gap and zip through there you'll never even hear me yeah
0: I, I, i've been in some situations uh, i think i might have even mentioned some on the show before but i'm always uh, expecting the car in front of me to Swerve like every even, sure. even when you're splitting, and you got miles of car. Because I, was, the traffic between San Diego and L.A. is terrible sometimes, right. and, and i I can see miles of freeway stopped, and I'm like, well, yeah. i want to be splitting miles, and every car for the next five miles, I'm just going to assume is going to swerve into me, and it saved me a few times, you know. Like you, they start to move, and you're like, up, and you move. You don't you don't give them time right. to hear your pipe. Your pipes aren't facing forward. <laughs> you know well, that's I'm the saying? thing.
1: Yeah. If, if loud pipes save lives, a loud horn would do better. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not what saves your life. It's learn learn how to ride a motorcycle. Hell, so yeah. Hell yeah. I so, mean you, you would you would be surprised how many people come through the class that do not use their front brake. Uh, I mean, even even on a cruiser, I understand it's it's rear brake bias, but still front brake works, right? I mean that's what stops the motorcycle. Rear brakes tend to lock up, right? Yeah. So it's just it's it's ridiculous to see, you know, guys come from the MSF course and then ride twenty years with this misconception that the front brake is dangerous you know what i mean
0: yeah that's weird that is a weird thing to kind of i, mean, to, I, I mean, mean that's like where and, all your power your inertia gets transferred transferred yeah forward. And,
1: <laughs> and then then you explained about trail braking and it blows their mind well that's impossible well, do it yeah not on my bike well yeah i'll do it on your bike i'll come through the corner with re- dragging boards with the front end on and i'll st- front end locked up and you know hammer the front brake and stop the motorcycle yeah that's, that's crazy. how it works.
0: I've had a hell of a yeah. fun time talking with you. We've already Great. put it, we've already put a, a little over an hour in the can. Yikes! Yeah, you you're, you're a, you should be a you should get your own podcast if you're. I, I understand that you drive most of the day, but but hell, anytime you want to come back on, man, we'd love to have you. And uh, sure,
1: anytime you want me.
0: Yeah, and me and Wiggs, we always talk about heading up that way one of these days. And
1: Oh, yeah, dude. If if you guys, if Wiggins ever comes up here and runs Sonoma, I live 20 minutes away. Rad. (laughs) Dude, give me a call. I'll take the day off work. I'll come out there with you guys. I mean, I've got bikes to I've got the you know i've got three motorcycles currently i'm trying to sell the 300 but it's still here so
0: yeah is that the ninja 300 you got yeah yeah that'd be a
1: cool bike for you to ride that's cool
0: yeah man i i'm four foot eight and uh it's perfect seat height for me and everything i've been on before they're perfect thanks Brian for hanging out and blabbing with us and uh man so much good times we'll probably call you back the next next crazy thing I see you do uh I'm gonna call you back and ask you about it (laughs) okay (laughs) thanks man all
1: right right. thanks have a great night Uh all right bye. bye
0: All right, everybody, that's been our show. Thank you for hanging out for a couple hours this week with Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. Thank you so much to our guest Brian Honeycutt, for hanging out and talking to us for an hour. And this guy has so much experience under his belt. Such a good, uh, you know, good advocate for the lifestyle and the sport and out there doing all sorts of riding, from dragging knees on an R1200GS that you wouldn't expect to uh, out there racing slamming bars at the uh, Moto Moto Bay Classic on his uh, 450 Supermoto. And uh, if you want to check more, go look him up on Facebook. He's also, like you said, Iron Butt, did the Bun Burner Gold, part of the Motorcycle Podcaster Challenge, all that great stuff. Um, Thanks for hanging out with us, Brian. We'll talk to you again. If you have any questions or any events coming up uh, in your area that you'd like us to shout out, give us a little, send us a little email, a missive at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to yap at Wiggs, ask him how to adjust your triple trees for maximum torque angle or uh, how to make a souffle, just send it to askwiggs, A-S-K-W-I-G-G-Z at gmail.com. You can find him on Instagram at, at Wig09, the number nine, or at Field Initiative Knives. Support Wigs in his foray into the knife-making world at Field Initiative Knives and uh, see what he can make for you today. If you'd like to reach this show, you can check us out on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, iTunes, podcast, Dogcast, undercast, TuneIn uh, uh, tune in radio that I already mentioned stitcher. Um, all the, all the popular ones. If your kid, uh, if you know where to get podcasts, just ask a little kid, they'll tell you. If you ask grandpa, he'll probably say what's a podcast. Uh, also if you'd like to become a, a patron of the show, go to www.patreon.com forward/creative writing. And as of right now, as of today, we got some new merch in our Zazzle store. If you go to Zazzle and look up Creative Writing or Creative Writing podcast, you will find we've made a uh, shirt for uh, the midterm elections keeping it hooligan. And if you want a coffee mug, we've got coffee mugs there for you. I think I put three different ones up right now. So we got a shirt, three different types of mugs. So go over there. That doesn't really support the show, but it gives you something fancy to look at until the next episode comes out that says creative writing on it. And you're like, Hey, I support the show by uh, drinking Joe out of this mug. All right, everybody, that's our show. And uh, check us out online www.creative-writing.com or Twitter at creative underscore writer until next week keep the chupacabra on the seat and the alligator biting the meat i don't know see you later bye